This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. Everyone, this is the other side of midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Well, in my conversations with people over the last few days and the last few weeks, especially, I feel obliged to give you a little bit of a warning. You should listen to this show if you're listening live right now at your own risk repeatedly over the last several days, over the last several weeks. People have said to me they're getting home a little late. Maybe they're working late. Maybe they're going out late and they come home. And it's just about this time of the night. It's around 1 o'clock. And they make the ill-fated decision to listen to this program. To a person, they have said they're unable to turn this show off. And they end up losing hours worth of sleep. So I'm going to give you a 10-second warning. Our Fridays are our highest-rated shows of the week, both in streaming, both on the radio, and even in podcast form. So Fridays are, we bring our A game on Friday mornings, particularly going into a holiday weekend, let alone my favorite holiday, which is Independence Day. So I'm going to give you five seconds to make the decision to keep listening or to tune out and go to sleep. Don't say I didn't warn you, uh, because we are going to begin this show as we do each and every Friday edition of The Other Side of Midnight with... The Other Side of Midnight proudly presents Ask Frank. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Whatever you have questions about, now is the time to ask them. If you have questions about film, television, books, business, radio, the business of radio, cocktails, if you need advice, if you have questions about my personal history, if you have questions about pro wrestling, those are particularly relevant today because today is the 31st anniversary of the first live wrestling match I attended. If time permits, I'll get into that a little bit later. You have questions about gambling, Atlantic City, local politics, restaurants, New York, the criminal justice system, aliens, the mob, any hypothetical questions, any questions about my personal preferences, questions about relationships, baseball, the culture at large, religion, or foreign policy, now is the time. 800-848-WABC. The lines fill up quickly. So... We have two open lines I would dial right now, 800-848-9222. Let me begin with uh, Pete in Piscataway. It's that way. Hello, Pete. Hi, Frank. Uh, this being July uh, weekend, are you a fan of the movie 1776, the one with William Daniels? Are you Howard kidding? Bill? Come on. That's, one, that's probably my favorite motion picture. It's certainly my favorite musical. I know... Almost every word, I know almost every line of every song. I, I am to, to say I'm a fan of it is a dramatic understatement. I watch it just about every Independence Day, and I, I actually own it. I own it in several different forms, actually. I have it on VHS, I have it on DVD, and I actually have a digital copy of it. And I saw the revival on Broadway with Brent Spiner in the, in the lead role as John Adams. It's one of my favorite plays, one of my favorite musicals, and unlike a lot of other historical musicals, it's remarkably accurate historically. Uh, and... Uh... The three debate scenes are really, really good. The first two and the last one. 
that's what makes the movie. I, I, honestly, I think it's pretty close to a perfect film and and a, and a close close to a perfect musical. I think the acting is amazing. I've interviewed uh, William Daniels, and we spent a substantial amount of time talking about him playing John Adams because he played John Adams a number of times. And then uh, when he went on uh, Boy Meets World to play Mr. Feeney, he, the school that he was the principal of happened to be John Adams High. So that was a little bit of a, a, a tip of the hat to his previous work playing John Adams. There's nobody like William Daniels. That voice is incredible. In fact, I'm going to write myself a note to reach out to him again and see if we can't get him on the show uh, again. 800-848-9222. 1-800-848-WABC. Henry is in Manhattan. Hello, Henry. Hi, good evening. Good evening. Uh, I just heard... Uh... Dominic and you uh, uh, coming in at the end of his term, the end of his hour. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm wondering if uh, it turns out uh, a year from now that uh, uh, President Trump or former President Trump uh, is more damaged, in fact, is indicted what will be the position of the uh, the station that has uh, uh, supported him 100%? And what station is that, Newsmax? No, WABC Radio. Oh, well, I mean, we don't take a position as a station. All of us have our own individual views. I, um, I was listening to Bernard McGurk yesterday, and he said that in a Trump-DeSantis matchup, he might be leaning towards DeSantis. So I think you're already seeing... Some people um, who were always uh, longtime Trump enthusiasts sort of want get off the reservation. I think uh, and I think you're going to see that with a lot of Trump supporters, not just in the media, but among the general public. Now, don't get me wrong. I know he's got a lot of supporters that are going to be with him no matter what. But just so you understand, Henry, we don't we don't like sit around saying, oh, you know, let's all take this position on that. Let's take that position on this. No, I mean, all of us are relatively independent, and uh, I could tell you certainly that, um, you know, John Katsimatidis, who's supporting uh, Kathy Hochul, doesn't agree on every issue of the, as uh, Bernard McGurk, who supported Rob Astorino for governor. All of us have varying views on politics, on life, on culture, on the economy, so there's no there's no talking points that get sent out that, oh, this is what our opinion is going to be on this. Not at all. Not at all. Uh, in fact, not once has anybody from the station ever said, you know, you should sound a little more pro-Trump or a little less pro-Trump. Never. Never. Never once. 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to John in Brooklyn. Hello, John. Hello. Uh, I have two things to bring up. I'll be real fast. First of all, uh, let me thank you for having that pro-Ukraine guest. I hope you get Gary Kasparov. Well, it's not him uh, today. Uh, we'll we'll keep working on that. Yeah, uh, but uh, it would be interesting because of his long-standing history with Putin. Secondly, do you realize that? And this is why I'm calling. Do you realize that in the Babylon Five reboot, they are de-emphasizing Commander Sinclair. It's, the story is going to really be all about Captain Sheridan. Well, yeah, it's um, it's 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 not a it, it's going to be a little bit of a different story, but I think that's fine. I mean, that's what happened with the Battlestar Galactica right. reimagining. I, I think that's fine. If they want to go in a different direction. That's fine. 
personally. Thank you, John. 800-848-WABC, talking about the Babylon 5 uh, remake that they're doing. You know, I mean, it, if you're going to do a remake that is exactly the same as the original, why bother doing a remake? Why not just watch the rerun of the thing that you're remaking? 800-848-WABC. Let me say hello to Rob in New Jersey. Hello, Rob. Yeah, hi, Frank. I wanted to know, I one time saw, like, it started off, like, looking like lightning, then it turned, like, blue and then green. Do you think that could be, like, a UAP? Like, lit up the whole, like, 10, 15 Well, I, I don't know. I mean, it certainly could be. I mean, I'd have to see an image of it, and then, uh, obviously, uh, and thanks, Rob, you have to look around and investigate and see if there are any more plausible explanations. But, obviously, if there's nothing to explain it, then that's, by its very definition, is a UAP, unexplained aerial phenomenon. So it doesn't mean it's an alien. It could be anything, right? That's all the U in unexplained means. All the U in UAP means, unexplained. By the way, I did. I neglected to mention that whoever has the most interesting question and the most creative question, we are going to gift you a complimentary Other Side of Midnight T-shirt, as judged by Matt Blaze, Alex Barnard, and Ryan. So uh, whoever has the most interesting question, We'll give you a Other Side of Midnight t-shirt. 800-848-WABC. Let me say hello to Eddie in Staten Island. Hello, Eddie. Hi, Frank. Uh, look, I, I've been up all week. I'm a frontline manager. I've been listening to customers talking about this whole thing going on. And don't you think that since everything that's been going on, our, our rights taken away, our freedoms being infringed on, the Democrats gone crazy, the American public probably see Trump as the answer to all of the nonsense that's been going on, the low unemployment, the the low uh, interest rates, the inflation that was low, and everything is totally reversed. And it just seems that our country is totally out of control. And let me tell you why I think Trump is going so, to So, Eddie, win. what's the question? So the question, is, the question is this. Do you think that the American public is going to stand by and listen to this nonsense that has been going on with Trump and this woman that obviously is not credible now. Uh, yes, I think uh, a lot of them will listen. I think a lot of people that are dyed in the wool Trump supporters won't care about it or won't listen. But I, I think you need to keep in mind why Donald Trump got elected. Donald Trump got elected in 2016 because in the swing states, the states that went for Obama and then went for Trump, states like Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, yeah, of the, the one out of five Trump voters in those states were Obama voters. Trump did a tremendous job winning over Obama Democrats, people that voted for Obama because they wanted change, and then they voted for Trump because they wanted change. The thing that you got to keep in mind is. With Trump um, continuing to focus on twenty the 2020 election and continuing to, you know, call everybody names, Bill Barr, Kellyanne Conway, everybody, is that going to do anything to win back the Trump Democrats? I don't think that it is. Now, the thing that was is going in Trump's direction is inflation, crime, the situation at the border, the situation in Afghanistan and foreign policy overall. If we head towards a recession, which appears likely, as bad as that might be for the country, that's going to be good for the opposition party. Now, it looks like we're going to have a vibrant Republican contest for president. It looks like it's going to be Mike Pence, Chris Christie, uh, Donald Trump, and Rick, uh, Ron DeSantis. 
Now, it, it's clear that uh, Mike Pence is staking his whole campaign on the abortion issue. He says he's not going to rest until there's a nationwide ban on abortion. That could help him in a lot of the uh, socially conservative states with a lot of socially conservative constituencies. DeSantis, a lot of his campaign seems to be Trump was wrong on his handling of the coronavirus. They shouldn't have locked down the economy and they shouldn't have instituted all these restrictions. And he, he should have pursued a more libertine approach to this thing. That's the DeSantis lane. Um, Chris Christie's lane, I don't know what that is. Trump's lane seems to be uh, Biden's a bum. Everything was a lot better when I was president. And there's some truth to that. But he also keeps harping on this election fraud stuff, which um, it might be manna from heaven from for his base. But I don't see it winning over a lot of um, a lot of Democrats, quite frankly. I uh, I really don't. So I, I don't know how it plays out. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Chris is in the Catskills. Hello, Chris. Good morning, Frank. Good morning. Have you ever considered having a musical guest on for an interview, play some songs, you know, like a one-man type performer uh, as opposed perhaps to a band? I don't know how large your studio is. Well, our studio is not that big. I mean, it's basically just, I mean, a table with four or five chairs. So I'm not sure that we could have, that we could fit somebody in to perform in here. But there is another, I think they're building out a new studio and there's a television area that I think we might be able to use for radio if we did have somebody, you know, really special like the band in here or something. Well, yeah, I, I, you know what I'm referencing, but a couple dates throw out at you uh september 2nd and august 8th uh if that were to ever happen so have a great Wait, weekend, if what Frank. if what were to ever happen well i think i don't know if you looked at it uh i'm friends with ian flanagan he got third place on the voice um he's from my town he's got a very inspirational life story um he was uh addicted to alcohol and cocaine and he went to a drug rehab he was a very talented songwriter and performer um while he was addicted and then uh, he went to a rehab uh, six years ago, and I ran into him in a grocery store, and I saw it, it instantly when I looked at him. I said, Ian, he looked uh, 10 or 12 years younger. I mean, when he seven years ago, he looked 15 years older than he does now because of, he, he used to do cocaine and he used to drink. And uh, he, it's a very inspirational life story. And then his uh, songwriting skills and his talents really flourished. Uh, He's a he's a storyteller type of like a Bob Seger type of guy. Um, he basically was got in a car accident, um, you know, got injured a little bit. He was working construction. He decided this is after he got sober. He decided he was going to, um, you know, make a, a full run at trying to be a successful musician. He and his uh, fiance sold off all their assets. He bought a mobile home. Uh, all right, Chris, I just want to get to some other people. Thank you. I, I'm, I was bored a minute and a half ago, and I, foolishly I made the mistake of Chris thinking Chris was going to end his comments, but he was just going to – he's going to keep going for the next four hours. 800 – are you familiar with that guy, Ian? No. No. I, all right, so we'll see what happens. We'll, we'll see. Uh, Larry's in Bethpage. Hello, Larry. Hey, Frank. So 60 years ago, I'm eight years old. And I can tell you within five minutes how my life changed forever. I got hooked on pro wrestling. WWF from Washington, D.C. Ray Morgan is the announcer. 
gorilla monsoon, couldn't speak English. <laughs> and there you are. Now, one, one moment, the camera pans over to a gentleman in the front row wearing a sailor's uniform. I'm a kid. I'm eight, about eight years old, through the eyes of an eight-year-old. And all of a sudden, over the next couple of weeks, the camera keeps panning over to him. And then two bad guys, two bad guys start to give him a hard time. And it went on for a couple of weeks. And finally, this sailor, the hero of our country, hops over the ring and completely destroys these two guys. And the name of that person, that sailor, you can Google him, Sailor Art Thomas. Changed my life forever. That's some story, Larry. What's your question? There is no question. Okay, thank you. Uh, Guys, just... The the operative part of this exercise is ask Frank anything. It's not. Should I play the sounder again? It's yeah. Go ahead. Why don't you? I think people need a reminder. We, we need a reminder that it's the other side of midnight proudly presents. Ask Frank. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. All right. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. We're going to continue hopefully with your. Questions. That's the part. Questions. 800-848-WABC. Somebody that I know understands the exercise is Neil on Staten Island. Hello, Neil. Hey, good morning, Frank. Uh, I have a a hypothetical for you, Frank. I'm ready. Uh, You you won a contest, and the judges are me and your wife. Now, we each have to choose who you would be stranded on a desert island for one year with. Your wife chooses the Teddy Roosevelt historian and the James Buchanan historian. I choose the women that Tony Soprano cheated with throughout the series. Who do you pick, Frank? Um, Well, I mean, you know, I would pick yours just because there are more people. I mean, there's like at least seven or eight in your example. Rachel's only got two. So, first of all, and, you know, I am interested in James Buchanan, but I'm more interested in James Garfield. So if it was a James Garfield historian, it might be a different thing. But if I'm on a desert island, I would want, I would think, more people to break up the conversation. So if I have a choice of six trained actresses, versus, you know, versus two historians, including from one president that I am not terribly interested in, I would probably choose the six or seven actresses, I would think. I think that's a reasonable response on my part. All right, we're going to continue with your questions in just a moment. 800-848-9222, straight ahead. W-A-B-C. Mm. 
Miley Cyrus party in the USA. This weekend is uh, a holiday weekend uh, in which we're all going to be celebrating the United States and having a party in the USA. Uh, One of the great patriotic anthems of our time. We're doing an Ask Frank Anything where we're giving you an opportunity to ask questions about anything you want. The operative term there being questions, right? Whoever comes up with the best question, the most creative question, as determined by Matt Blaze, Alex Barnard, and Ryan, we're going to give you a prize. Jerry's in Manhattan. Hello, Jerry. Frank, if you were offered the morning slot to replace Bernie and Sid, would you take it? No. Uh, honestly, I've been asked that question before, both privately and um, and publicly. And honestly, uh, I love doing this shift. I absolutely love doing this shift. I love being able to have a guest on for an hour and uh, also get into really esoteric subjects, uh, be they having to do with Eastern European uh, political affairs or um, words that people don't use. You know, the thing with the morning show is because you have uh, it is a wider audience and more people listening, but because you have people tuning in and out, you can't do an interview for really longer than 10 minutes. And uh, that's really not my style. I like long interviews. I like to uh, be a little silly sometimes and kind of substantive at others. I don't like having, um, you know, um, everyone try and give their two cents about what I'm trying to do. And really, uh, on the overnight show, everyone kind of leaves me alone. We're number one in the overnights. I think what we're doing is working. So uh, the answer is no, honestly. And I've worked mornings before and um, both as a fill in host for the morning show or for years and as a producer. And I can tell you, as difficult as this shift can be lifestyle wise, I will take this any day of the week over early mornings. I did early mornings for years. And, uh, you know, you know, Eric Stanger, who used to be a producer here, and now he works with Sean Hannity. He said to me years ago, and I never forgot this, he said, and Bernard McGurk has made similar remarks to me over the years, and I think Stanger said something along the lines of, I worked mornings for five years, and it took me ten years to recover from it. That's almost the way that I feel. It's so draining and so tough uh, to do mornings. Matt Blaze, uh, I know you've been on the radio at other stations and stuff. Did you ever work the morning shift? No, I always did afternoon. You never did morning. Never did early yeah, morning. Um, but I wouldn't want to. I, I it, like overnight. Me, me too. Me too. So, uh, yeah, my question is – the answer is honestly and sincerely no. Uh, this is the only only job in radio that I want. Phillips in Bl- Branchburg. Hello, Philip. Hi, Frank. I'm a new listener. I wanted to know your top five radio personalities. Uh, currently or of all time? All time. Okay. Um, uh Howard Stern, Rush Limbaugh, Bob Grant, Jay Diamond, and Tom Likas. Okay. Thank you, Philip. Uh, appreciate it. That was a good. That was a good question. See, question, answer, question, answer. Boom, boom. It's like ping pong. Eight hundred eight four eight WABC. Bob is in New Jersey. Hello, Bob. Hey, Frank. Uh, what happened to my um, recording of the song, I'm Not Tired Yet, by the Swan Silvertones? You told me you did were going to send me your like address, four Bob? months ago. Did you give me your address, Bob? Did you give me your address? I did, sir. What, did, yes, what, did, I did, you emailed sir. me your address? No, you told me to call back after 2 o'clock and give them the information. Yeah, and who did I you speak did. to? Who did you speak to? I don't. 
I don't know exactly. Ryan, have you ever gotten this guy's address? You've never? Okay. Bob, we'll try it again. Call back at 2 o'clock and give Ryan your address. Ryan, I'm telling you now, Matt, you're my witness here. Ryan, give me this guy's address at 2 o'clock, okay? Um, (laughs) The amount of effort this guy is going to to get this CD or this tape, God, I'll get it it to him. I might hand-deliver it to him. Where does he live, Jersey? I'm going to be in Jersey, I think, um, in a week. So maybe I'll drop it off with him. Frank is in Queens. Hello, Frank. Hey, Frank. If Mr. Castanidis, uh, sorry about butchering his name, if he decided he had enough in New York, he's closing shop, he's moving the radio station to another city, is there a city where you would not follow him to? Well, I'm a New Yorker, um, you know, I, so I really don't want to move. So I would certainly want to be on the radio wherever he has a station. But uh, I, I'm a New Yorker, and unless I'm publicly disgraced, I plan to spend the rest of my days in this city, in this city alone. 800-848-9222. Igor is in Fairfield. Hello, Igor. Hey there, Frank. Hi. Hey, you described uh, going to a wedding out in Warren County here in New Jersey. But yes. then you also said you conducted... The ceremony. That's how true. You, how did you come to conduct a wedding ceremony? Well, I am. A, that's a good question. I am a minister in the Universal Life Church, uh, ordained as such. I've been a minister, uh, ordained minister in the Universal Life Church for about 14 years, and I have done many weddings over the years. I'd say close to 30 uh, weddings, maybe more than that, but uh, at least about about 30 weddings, I would say, mostly for friends of mine. And family, and uh, a couple times for strangers. No, actually, more than a couple times for strangers. So I, I do it pretty often, and uh, I try to do a good job with it. I put a lot of effort into it, put a lot of thought into it, and most people seem pretty happy with the job that I do. Eight hundred eight four eight WABC. Virginia is in the Bronx. Hello, Virginia. Hi, Frank. I wanted to know your view, and if it's a game changer that Howard Stern is going to run for president, and his running mate Bradley Cooper. <laughs> Uh, well, Virginia, he's not going to run for president. I know he says that he's running, but he's saying it, I think, half as a joke and half for for publicity. Uh, I will, um, you know, I will eat my headphones uh, if Howard Stern actually runs for president. He is absolutely, this is as close to a guarantee. I, know, I think I know politics pretty well, and I know Howard Stern pretty well. I don't know him personally, but I know his thinking. But he brought Bradley Cooper into it now. Yeah, he's not going to run. It's a publicity stunt. I listen to the Howard Stern show still. Um, I, I think he's doing it to make a point about abortion. I don't see any way that he runs for president. You know, what I thought was interesting is if he would have run for governor back in 1994 And he ultimately chose not to run because, one, because he didn't want to do the financial disclosure. And then he said later he got nervous that he might have actually won. So I I think uh, he would not run for the same reasons. I don't think he wants to deal with the level of scrutiny that uh, that comes with being a presidential candidate, the, the amount of effort. You know, Howard these days really doesn't leave his house. He doesn't even come into the city to do his radio show anymore. So I don't see him being wanting to wanting to campaign all over the country. I think he's making a point, one, about how he doesn't like Donald Trump as a president, because if you notice what he said, he, w- he said he would only do it if he could run against Trump. Now, when you run for president, you can never guarantee your opponent, because what if Trump loses the nomination to Ron DeSantis? So uh, Howard Stern is not going to run for president. I-, I feel very comfortable saying that. 800-848-9222. Jay is in Brooklyn. Hello, Jay. Hi. Good speaking to you, Frank. Likewise. Thank Question you. To you. 
Yeah. What happened to Michael Savage? Why is he no longer on 770? Uh, well, he does a podcast now. I think he's off of the radio completely. And uh, a friend of m- he just interviewed a friend of mine for his podcast. He still sounds good. But what he said is that basically what he liked doing, he didn't want to have to do a show every day. And that he wanted to do a show when he wanted to do one. And if there was somebody that he was interested in talking to for a long time, he wanted to be able to talk to him. And if there was a day that he didn't feel like doing a show, he wanted that kind of flexibility. So he's still making a lot of money, I think, doing this podcast. He's still reaching a lot of people. And he's still a great talent. Uh, I just don't think, he, you know, he wanted to do the grind of a radio show every day. 800-848-9222. Michael is in New Jersey. Hello, Michael. Yes, hi, Frank. Hi. Uh, what would more please your intellect and feelings? Is it the ability to speak two foreign languages or to play two instruments? Oh, that's a good one. Choice. You know, I know people that do both. And if I had to pick, that's a good one. I would probably say two foreign languages. I, I Look, it's a great gift to be able to do either of those things. And I know it takes a lot of work to master either of those things. But if I could speak two foreign languages in addition to English, I think, uh, I don't know. I think I could do a lot of interesting things. I I meet a lot of different people, maybe have, um, you know, a a lot more flexibility traveling in different places. I think that would probably be what I'd pick. That's a good question, though. 800-848-9222. Paul is in Astoria. Hello, Paul. Hi, Frank. Good evening. How are you? Great. Thank you. Great. Uh, what is your favorite pizza places in the city of New York? I, honestly, it depends on what kind of pizza you're talking about, right? So um, there, for a um, clam pie, I love Lee's Tavern. For a, um, you know, for a, like a regular, just a regular slice, I, I think, um, I think Williamsburg pizza is just incredible. For a pie, a brick oven place. I love, um, you know, I love John's of Bleecker Street, or um, or or I love John's of Bleecker Street. I do, F- or Patsy's also great. If you're talking about coal fired pizza, Arturo's downtown is great, and so is, um, you know, so is Campania. Uh, in Staten Island, if you're talking about um, an overall pizza experience, it might be Danino's, uh, in, it's, which is in Staten Island, Manhattan, and in New Jersey. So this, it depends on what kind of pie. If you're talking Sicilian, it's probably Allen B. Spumoni Gardens, although they have a kind of a unique style of Sicilian. But I think it's probably that. 800-848-WABC. Joe is on Staten Island. Hello, Joe. Hi, Frank. Good morning. Morning. I, uh, a month ago, you were uh, asking about where free air was, and the gas stations get your free air. Yes. Did you ever find it? Um, I think, well, there's um, there's a couple of places. There's a place on uh, a uh, service station. It's a gas station off the Jersey Turnpike. If you're heading south, right outside oh, no, the Lincoln I... Tunnel, it's a Sunoco station. They offer free uh, I was air. Curious. I was, Frank, I was curious about Staten Island. Uh, I, that's where I draw. But on Richmond Road, if you go to Richmond Town, you go up Richmond Road, there's a Sitco. Frank, there's an air pump there. It's the greatest one on the island, and it's free. What street is that? You go up you go, you go up uh, Richmond Road, past Richmond Town, you know, past Lighthouse Hill. So it's on Richmond Road itself, or it's, or it's on Lighthouse Hill? No, you pass Lighthouse Hill. Go up. It's on Mr. Road. 
just before we're turned into Rockland. Okay, I know the neighborhood very well. I will check it out. 800-848-9222. Bill is in Connecticut. Hello, Bill. Good morning, Frank. With all the conspiracies concerning the JFK assassinations, because of her inquiries and invest- her own investigations, do you think Dorsey Kilgallen was murdered because she was getting too close? I think it is a good possibility. Uh, yes, I, I'm not sure if it was because she was getting too close, but I think that it, that's certainly a possibility, and I do think she was murdered. I've read um, the the book by by Mark Shaw, the reporter who knew too much. I find it very convincing. And uh, look, I, I wish that rather than me wonder about it and you wonder about it, I wish the Manhattan DA uh, and the police department would reopen the investigation and and determine what happened with Dorothy Kilgallen once and for all. Because as far as I'm concerned, that her death was never, never sufficiently reopened. Uh, so I do think there's some some serious questions about that. Joe is in central New Jersey. Hello, Joe. Hey, Frank. Uh, I have a love of radio, as you do, but I'm 65 years old and I've never been able to put it into words, the fascination of it. Can you do that? Well, um, I don't know. I, you know, I try to I talk about my love of radio frequently. I don't know if I can do it uh, any better than you or anybody else can. To me, what makes radio so um, so much fun as a as a listener and and as a personality is the intimate connection that you have with your audience, right? With either the person speaking on the radio to the person listening or vice versa. Because really, if you think of the places where you listen to radio, they are the most intimate moments of your life. They're there that you have me or somebody else that you're listening to on the radio with you at a time when you'd never have another human being with you. When you're in bed by yourself, when you're in the shower, when you're in the bathroom, when you're driving by yourself, not saying a word, the most intimate moments of your life are shared with uh, somebody that you've never met on the radio. And I think it's because... You know, when you hear something on the radio, Curtis uses the term, John Katzmatidis uses the term, it really does create a theater of mind where you create pictures in your own brain. And uh, to me, there's just something so um, unique and so special about that. And I remember when Rush Limbaugh did a TV show, and Rush was very good on TV. He was great on radio, but he was very good on TV. And he remarked years later, and this was my experience going on TV as well, Rush remarked that... Whenever he would get feedback based on his radio show, everyone would always talk to him about what he said on the radio. But on his TV show, people talked to him about what kind of clothes he had on, what kind of props that he was using, and almost everything except the substance of what he was talking about. So I think radio is so special because uh, you're, it's just you, me, and the substance of what we're talking about, Joe. And uh, I, I don't know why it's so great, but I know that it is so great. Thank you, Frank. Thanks, Joe. 800-848-9222. Mario is in Manhattan. Hello, Mario. Yes, sir. Uh, any take on why John Miller is leaving the uh, post he has as terrorism uh, PD secretary? That's a good question. You know, John Katsimatidis may know. He's in, in, in regular touch with John Miller. My hunch is... 
twofold. One, you know, Miller's been in that position for a, a decade now. I think he's probably ready to go back into the private sector and make some money. Uh, probably he could do very well as a media personality again. Um, and two, I think, you know, Adams and his commissioner, Sewell, they want to bring in their own people. Miller has facilitated the transition, and I think it's time for, like, the next group to take over. You know, in government, it's almost like running a baseball team. You know, if you have some great coaches on your on your coaching staff and you're a manager that takes over for a new baseball team, you bring in your people. Same thing with presidents. They keep the old guy around for a little while and then they bring in their their own people. So I think it's a combination of Miller probably tired. Uh, he, this is an exhausting job, takes a lot of time, a lot of effort. And I think he probably wants the challenge of doing something different. I think he wants to earn some money. And I think Adams probably wants the opportunity to put in uh, his own person there. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Eddie is in Ocean County. Hello, Eddie. Hi, Frank. Um, I want to ask you a twofold question. Um, first of all, I assume you've never enlisted in the military, right? That is true. Yes, I was wondering why uh, you never ended up doing that. I know you're a very uh, proud patriot, and you always talk about how much you love the country. So I was wondering why that never worked into your life. And second, I was wondering which branch of the military you would pick if you would have uh, enlisted or if you were giving advice to someone. Well, I mean, look, I, I think uh, I wouldn't presume to give advice to somebody. I would refer them to people that are actually a little bit more experienced. So I've thought about that uh, a great deal. And I have still thought to this day about uh, joining the Army National Guard. I would have joined the Army, and I did think about that at times. You know what happened was, uh, and I know this is a lame excuse, but and I'm not making excuses, but when I was um, starting from the time that I was 16, I was very, very active in local politics. And uh, from the time that I was 18, I was in the leadership of a political party. And when you're in the leadership of a political party, you have certain responsibilities. And I I thought I could do more good for the country in facilitating a vibrant multi-party democracy and building up a third party than uh, by by denying myself the opportunity to do what I was doing media-wise and politically by going into the military, even if it was only for three years. But I did think about it, and I, I think about still maybe joining the, the New York Guard now that I'm not involved in a political party. Uh, but uh, and, and I know I said two different things there, but, yeah, I've considered both, both the Army National Guard and the New York Guard, which is sort of a, a state-run Militia. But uh, no, I am very I feel very guilty about that. The fact that I've never uh, served in the military. I uh, my grandfather, my namesake, the fellow that I was named for was a Purple Heart winner in World War Two. And my uncle Caesar was a triple war vet served in World War Two, uh, the Korean War and the Vietnam War. And he and I were very close. He was uh, in the Air Force and, uh, you know, the, um, the not for World War Two, because there was no Air Force. But subsequently, and um, he sent me his uniform. After he passed away, he sent to me, obviously, before he passed away, but with knowing that he was close to the end of his life, he wanted me to have his uniform. And I really do feel incredibly unworthy uh, to be their relative because, you know, I've never served and I have a lot of admiration for anybody that uh, that has served. And I will tell you, I do value the opportunity to speak pretty openly on a lot of different subjects, including foreign policy. Now, I don't think I could go on and on about how 
idiotic I think the war in Iraq was and many aspects of the war in Afghanistan and a lot of our policies with respect to Syria and Ukraine and so forth had I been um, in serving in the military. But part of me does regret that, and I have not completely closed that uh, – Close that door. 800-848-9222. Let me take one more break here, and then we'll continue with your calls. Whoever comes up with the best question, we will give you a a prize, a complimentary Other Side of Midnight T-shirt. Still to come, we have uh, denunciations, movie reviews with Debbie Schlussel, and going to be joined by Charles Cupchan. Charles Cupchan is a fellow with the uh, Council on Foreign Relations. He also is an alumnus of the Obama administration. We're going to talk about the Ukraine situation. He has a very different take than the one that you heard from Mark Sloboda this week. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Straight ahead. W-A-B-C. We are New York on New York's Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. You may hear quite a few patriotic songs today. Uh, this, of course, forever immortalized in the film Rocky IV, uh, where uh, James Brown performed. You know, it's funny. I interviewed Warner Wolf a few years ago, more than a few years ago, and um, Warner had, you know, Warner's in Rocky IV, and he had talked about uh, this actually when we were still working together, when he was doing sports here in the morning show. And uh, he talked about how there was all these delays in filming because James Brown kept forgetting the words to this song. And I always thought that was a funny story. And because, first of all, uh, the the reason that, uh, you know, pe- the only words in this song that people remember are living in America. So, you know, if he were to fake it, how would you really know? But then uh, years later... I was working with Joe Piscopo, and I got the opportunity to ask Carl Weathers if James Brown, if uh, Warner Wolf's version of the James Brown story was true, and he had a little bit of a different take. I'll see if I could find that audio and play it for you. Meantime, though, we're doing an Ask Frank Anything with an, a prize for whoever comes up with the best question. Let's see. Let me have your questions. John is in White Plains. Hello, John. Hey, Frank, I just wanted to ask you, uh, who do you think shot first, Han or Greedo? <laughs> uh, look, I'll go with, um, I will go with what George Lucas claims and w- was always the intention, which is that uh, Greedo shot first. Um, you know, it, when I first saw the movie before the special edition, I always thought that uh, that Han shot first, but... According to George Lucas, he claims it was always supposed to be 
Um, it was always supposed to be uh, Greedo shotting, shooting first. So I'm not going to question the guy who wrote it, the guy who directed it. So if he says that's the case, I'll go along with what uh, George Lucas says. Jeff's in Jersey City. Hello, Jeff. Hello, Frank. Two quick questions on uh, the Rising uh, Killing series books. Um, did you read um, Killing uh, the Clan and Killing Kennedy? Uh, and what conclusion did you come away with? I read um, Killing Kennedy from- at the at the time that it came out. I didn't read Killing the Clan. Uh, that was the. Uh, I mean, I differ from O'Reilly's conclusion. I I do think there was a conspiracy, and uh, O'Reilly does so. not. I agree with you, and I, and I heard him say, uh, any you know, <laughs> the way he tends to be, anyone that thinks conspir, you know, he thinks we're a bunch of kooks. Um, but um, and you know what? It's hard to come down to one person that actually killed Kennedy. Um, a group of three, Frank. Uh, can you come up with three, maybe? The you know, I've heard that, so um, many different theories. Look, I am not able to point down, point to somebody. I could see it being the mob uh, because of how upset people were about Robert F. Kennedy's prosecution of the mob after they got John F. Kennedy elected. I've never bought the Castro theory. I don't think that was. I don't think that was likely. But I could see it being um, other other factors as well. So I don't know. By the way, I was able to find that Carl Weathers clip. I haven't listened to it, but I think this is the clip that I was just talking to you about. You know, well, a fellow I used to work with, Carl, Warner Wolf, said when you guys did Rocky Four that it was supposed to take three hours to film that scene, the famous exhibition match scene, but it ended up taking two and a half days because James Brown kept forgetting the words to living in America. Is that true? And how did uh, you know? Or is that something that Warner just made up over the years? Uh, maybe, maybe he he was sitting at a different angle and had a different perspective. I wouldn't say it wasn't true. There's no way we could have shot that in three hours. Yeah, yeah. There's no way we couldn't have shot. We were lucky to get it in three days. No, yeah. James Brown remembered everything. By yeah. the way, there was a track playing, so yeah. how could he? You know, and there was so many. I mean, to, to that point, and it, uh, to that point. Uh, there are so many different angles to mm. that. They, she shot that. You know, Joe. Oh you my, know. That, I mean, first of all, look at the dancers in the theater. Yeah. And the oh, thing. Just oh. shooting that, you couldn't have shot it in three hours. But, man, you got right with it, man. When you we, came had, up, we had such a great time. But it's a fun. Look, for me, that's one of the greatest moments on film. Ah, when Apollo comes up and is dancing great. with yeah, James yeah, Brown. Yeah, yeah. Who, yeah. who in his right <laughs> mind in this business, in the entertainment industry, can say they were on stage dancing with James Brown James in a major motion picture. Oh, come So there you have it. Uh, he, Carl Weathers, uh, who played Apollo Creed, he said Warner's version was not accurate. You heard him. Nick is in New Jersey. Hello, Nick. Oh, how you doing, Frank? Hi, how Nick. you doing? Good. Yeah. Uh, I was going to ask about, uh, you talk about Curtis Lewa all the time. Uh, how is it that, uh, that, uh, you know, he's talking about all this conservative stuff, and half the time he comes comes off with backing up a lot of liberals. How's, how's that? Well, I'm, I'm not sure I understand the question. How is how, I'm not sure I understand. I'm not following. Uh, he talks about, you know, uh, the, the, uh, 
All right, Nick. I, I'm sorry. I, I just I want to try and get to as many people as possible. If you want to call hey, back Stuna. later and uh, try and rephrase your question, I'm not trying to be impatient, but a lot of people have questions, and I, I could see that that was we were going to go down a long road there. Just me trying to understand what you're asking, let alone me trying to answer it. Ari is in Brooklyn. Hello, Ari. Hey, how you doing? Great. All right. The question is this: If the Catman decides to retire tomorrow and you seem like the one to get the job, and he gives it to you. What would you do different? Who would you hire? Who would you fire? Would you get anybody from uh, different places? You know, that's a good question. That is a very good question. Okay, what would I do differently? Well, um, look, I I think Richard Bay is a real talent, right? So I would would get Richard Bay uh, maybe uh, either Uh on the weekend or during the week, and uh, the other fellow, I don't know that he has any interest in coming back to radio, but he's still smart enough and young enough to, is, is Jay Diamond. Jay is one of my favorites. I would try and get Jay uh, to do a show. In terms of, uh, the, you know, in the, the, uh, one of the things that I've talked about internally with our president, Chad Lopez, and he was amenable to this, and this may still come to fruition, but I would do it on day one, is put a ping pong table up here. I think if we were to put a ping pong table Ooh. up here... That would uh, go a long way, not only in uh, building camaraderie, but if you've ever seen the way that most of us that work at radio stations look, we're not in the best of shape. So it would get everybody at least moving around a little bit. And um, what else would I do? I mean, the Richard Bay uh, move is one. The Jay Diamond move is another. I think we have a very solid on-air lineup, I'll be honest. I'd Uh, love to have a fifth. Who would you get rid of? Well, who would I get rid of? I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think. No, no, no. Curtis is Curtis is a real talent. I wouldn't get rid of Curtis. I'm trying to think. Yeah, I'm trying to think. There's no one, you know. There there may be some people like uh, Curtis might be on too much. Matt Blaze. Matt Blaze. No, no, no. Matt Blaze is he's 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 a no drama, you know, uh, person. I I would get Matt Blaze. All right. So I know it's going to be a stupid question, but would you bring Russo back? Well, I think he's back with a podcast. I think he's doing a podcast now at wabcradio.com. Yeah, so I think he is back. Yeah, he's on. Right, Matt? You know, you're up on this whole thing. Fill us in. Yeah, he has a podcast. He's on, on WABCradio.com, right? Yeah, on the, po- and on the app, on yeah, the podcast. Yeah, so people, you, could, you can hear uh, him. What's luck. the name of it, Matt? Do you know? It's called The Wacky Side of Midnight. Oh, it's called The Wacky Side of Midnight. So so he's back. Uh, he's just not on the radio. He's in podcast form. That's the direction everybody seems to be going. Podcast, podcast, podcast. 800-848-9222. Let me try and get to the people that have been holding uh, the longest. Uh, Bill is in Huntington. Hello, Bill. Okay. A lot of your guests, they say that the flying saucers come to Earth to save humanity from World War III, but I got another idea. Is it possible that there's a bar on their home planet where they have a pool <laughs> and they're betting on which day we destroy ourselves? And sometimes when somebody's box comes up, they fly to Earth in their saucers, and they buzz missile silos and aircraft carriers in an attempt to ignite World War III. Uh, I, 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 honestly, Bill, I have no idea. I would have no way of knowing. Um, you know, it's fun to kind of think about what's going on with respect to UAPs and flying saucers. I don't pretend to have any answers. I only have questions. So, I, look, 
I think it's interesting that you have 400 of these sightings that have been confirmed as authentic by the military, and we don't know what they are, right? So all I want to do is figure out what they are. If you look at what happened with Roswell, if you look at what happened with the um, flying saucers that flew over the over Washington, D.C., there's been so many documented incidents of this. If you look at the work done by John Mack, in which he interviewed all the people that claimed they were abducted, he didn't find that and they were crazy or delusional or deceptive. So I think all this adds up to the likelihood that extraterrestrials have been to this planet. But I don't know. I have no idea. 800-848-9222. Ray is in New Jersey. Hello, Ray. How you doing, Frank? Um, the top five rock and roll bands, not solo artists, rock and roll bands. Uh, you know, I feel like I've gotten this question before. So um, you got the Rolling Stones, that's got to be one. Uh, if you consider Fits in the Tantrums rock and roll, I'll put them in there. I love Fits in the Tantrums. If you consider the Scissor Sisters rock and roll, they're more glam rock, but it's got rock in there. I'll include them. Uh, Eric Burden and the Animals gotta be uh, one of them, and then the fifth, I'm gonna say uh, maybe uh, I guess the Beatles, right? So you got the Rolling Stones, the, the Beatles, Eric Burden and the Animals, um, the Fits in the Tantrums, and the Scissor Sisters. Those are my five. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Marks in Garden City. Hello, Mark. Hey Frank, how are you? Great. Frank, uh, my question is: a few weeks ago. Uh, somebody called in and asked you about the song uh, that you play when you do the Atlantic City Report. Yes. And you pointed out that it was the band's version of the song Atlantic City. And interestingly, you said that that's kind of a very sad song because if you listen to it, the guy in the song dies. So I listened to it several times, and I wanted to ask you, uh, how did you come to the conclusion he dies? Because if you listen to the words, it does not sound that way. Well, I, I don't know that I said that he dies. I, I think I said that, um, you know, it is it is a sad song because he's sort of uh, prepared uh, to die. You know, he says, um, because every other verse in the song is everything dies. Yes. So... He's part of everything. Everything yeah. dies. Baby, that's a fact. And then he's almost trying to console his girlfriend. But maybe everything that dies someday comes back, you yeah. know, so he, meaning, you know, he's going to die, but maybe he'll come back. Well, you know, Frank, my take after listening to it a few times is that, you know, in the song he mentions, he's going to do a favor for somebody. It sounds like in the underworld. It sounds like he's joining that life, and maybe that's why he's saying right. he oh, no doubt. that way. No doubt. No, no doubt about it. Um, so, um, you know, and, and then, you know, the part, I'm just pulling up the lyrics now, where he says, there's winners and there's losers, yes. and I'm south of the line. Yeah. I'm tired of getting caught on out on the losing end, but I talked to a man last night going to do a little favor for him. Right. And then, again, the next line is, everything dies. I, I don't yes. know. You know, I come to it as if he's not dying, he's prepared to die. Yeah, that I could agree with. But I thought a couple of weeks ago you had said it's very sad because if you listen to it, in the end he dies. And I was wondering how you came to that. Well, yeah, I don't know. Uh, if I said that, then that was probably too big of a leap on my part. But uh, people should know better than to take anything I say too seriously. All right. 
Uh, without further ado, um, Matt Blaze, after consulting with Ryan and Alex Barnard, do you have a selection as to who the best question was? This a little bit that would be Michael in New Jersey that uh, talked about your uh, having whether you pick two instruments or two foreign languages. All right, Michael in New Jersey, call back and get yourself a prize. And that guy that wants a CD, please give Ryan your address. And Ryan, please be sure to give me his address. I will go out of my way because heaven knows I don't have enough to do today. I will get this guy a CD. I will buy him a CD. I'll send it to him. I'll deliver it. Hey, uh, next hour we'll do something fun. Until then, help control the pet population. Get your dog or cats paid or neutered. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Uh, still to come, we have denunciations. We're going to talk about Russia and Ukraine with Charles Kupchan. Uh, he differs, I think, from where I am on the Ukraine situation. But I'm going to do the same thing with him that I do with everybody. Ask him what I think are challenging questions and do so very politely. Because that's my, it's my MO. If I had a business card, it would be interviews by Frank Moreno Challenging questions done politely. I like it. All right. Hey, uh, I came across this article a few weeks ago. I've had it on my list, but I think this is a positive. And I'm curious if you've noticed this in your life. And I think this is just great. Headline. uh, This was in the uh, style section of the New York Times. Headline. Punctuality is having a moment. Apparently, right now, the trendiest thing that you can do is be on time. Fashionably late has fallen out of fashion after more than two years of remote work when, for many people, there was no good reason to be tardy. And if you think about it, it makes sense. Everybody's working from home. You got these Zoom meetings on a schedule. Why would you ever be late if everyone's working from home? And that's been uh, – there's still a lot of stuff that's remote remote work. And so the writer of this New York Times piece, uh, Catherine Roseman, says the start – she talks about going to the book party for Tina Brown's new book, The Palace Papers. And the start time was 6.30 p.m., and that's when this media crowd began streaming into Michael's. Now, Michael's is a – Big hoity-toity restaurant. It's a place to go to to see and be seen, okay? It's way overpriced. Food is good, but it's way overpriced. And um, food is very good. My friend Arthur Idala took me there for lunch once. And uh, it's a great spot, but I don't think the price is worth the food, to be honest. So she talks about going to this book party there. And by 635, the place was packed. Now, for a party, that never used to be the case. Sure enough, I have noticed this same trend. Is you go to a party and all of a sudden, everybody's on time. At City Hall, since de Blasio left, 
the culture at City Hall has totally changed. Um, there is now a new emphasis on being on time and being punctual since Eric Adams took office. Frank Caron, the mayor's chief of staff, said Mayor Adams is very punctual. If you're five minutes early, you're on time. If you're on time, you're late. They, uh, this is what Frank Caron told the Times. We are on Vince Lombardi time. And apparently that's what Vince Lombardi, the old football coach, that was his M.O. Is you're, if you're on time, you're late. you got to be there five minutes early. Katie Honan, who's a reporter for the publication The City, she said, you know, she's just over the moon pleased by this change. Because de Blasio, his M.O. and the M.O. of everybody in his administration was they were late for everything. So that would screw up her schedule if she had to meet with someone from the administration. And there's, as she said, there's a vastly noticeable difference between Mayor Adams and Mayor de Blasio. So in 2022, according to the style section here, it is no longer fashionable to be fashionably late. Have you noticed this change? Do you see people all of a sudden, because of remote work and maybe because of other factors, all of a sudden people aren't late anymore? 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. This change seems to have arisen from the pandemic. During the first phase of the pandemic, when video conferencing became the norm for a lot of office workers around the country, people who had previously struggled with being on time found themselves no longer held up by commutes or workplace gossip sessions. And collaboration among those in different time zones is almost seamless. People are able to weave school pickups and childcare duties into their workdays. Linda Ong, who's the uh, CEO of Cultique, a consulting firm in Los Angeles, said punctuality is paramount as we are going through a reevaluation of our relationship to time. There has been less tolerance for lateness because there is expectation that you have more control over your time, and so you should be on time. Have you noticed that? Less tolerance for lateness? I think that I have. Uh, And how are you with time? 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. There was a Batman villain. uh, I don't know how much Batman you read or watched. I don't think he was ever on the... uh, Yeah, no, he was on the 60s TV series. He was played by uh, Walter uh, Slezak, I think his name was, or Walter Slezak. The Clock King. And then he was uh, also played by other people, and then he was in the animated version, but certainly in the comics. The Clock King was obsessed with time. He has no superpowers or abilities. He wears a clock mask, a cape, and a blue suit with clock drawings on it. And he's a major planner. He uses clock-themed gadgetry, to use the Woody Allen phraseology, and... um, He's just always on time and obsessed with being on time. And it's funny. I remember one episode of Batman the Animated Series, and this is about 30 years ago that I saw this episode. He was originally, like a a lot of people, he was a good guy, right? I mean, that's usually how it works with tragic superhero villains is they start out 
with, as good people, and then they just, you know, they just, something happens to them that's kind of tragic, and uh, you, they go down a bad path. And that's how it is in real life, which is what I like. So um, in the animated version, his character, before he turned bad, was an attorney named Temple Fugit. A guy who's obsessed with time and punctuality, and he's on the train, and he encounters another lawyer on the train, and this is a little bit about what happens. You seem pretty tightly wound this morning, Fugit. I have an important court hearing today. There's been a $20 million judgment against my company. My attorney has appealed, but if we lose, it's the end of everything. Temple, let me give you some advice. I'm a lawyer. Trust me, I know these things. If that judge sees you looking as tense and haggard as you are now, he'll think you were up to something. Loosen up. Do something to relax before you go into court. Get out of your routine for a few minutes. Do you take a coffee break? Of course, every day. At three on the dot. Then take it at 3.15. But my schedule... Forget your schedule for one day. Believe me, it'll make a new man out of you. And it does indeed. So I misspoke. He was not an attorney. Fugit serves as the head of this time and motion study consulting company that was fined. um, And he's in the midst of appealing. And then that fellow, Hamilton Hill, convinces Fugit to to break with his schedule, take his coffee break a little later. Needless to say, that is a cataclysmic mistake. And it, it ruins this guy's whole life deviating from his schedule and then he comes back years later and uh that fellow hamilton hill is the future mayor of gotham city and believe you me temple fugit aka the clock king he lets the mayor know a thing or two about that so i'm curious if you've noticed that punctuality is indeed having a moment as more and more office employees return to the workplace their ability to manage their own time is not something that they want to give up. So that uh, Professor Sophie Leroy, who's a uh, professor of management at the University of Washington, she said that uh, the pandemic allowed people to function for a long time on their own time. As you move back to the office, you have to negotiate all these things, commutes, engaging with people, and an inability to tend to your personal and family life in ways that you could when you were working from home. So the reluctance of some to return to the office is requiring managers to make efficiency a priority. So Professor Leroy said, people are implicitly asking, why am I going back to the workplace? There better be a reason to spend all this money on gas or trains for commuting. It better be worth be better be worth it to risk getting COVID when I've proved I can work efficiently from home. So this is translating into a culture of, look, I'm here to get things done, not to chit-chat. And I'm curious if you've noticed this. Do you notice society in general, in your workplace, in your social life, and maybe even for you specifically, is suddenly more punctual? 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. In my case, I feel like I have noticed this, but with a child, and I'm not trying to play the seven-month-old card, not trying to play the baby card, but with a child... It seems like no matter how hard my wife and I try to leave the house at the time that we know we have to leave to be at a social function, we're always slightly delayed. 
Now, obviously, I officiated a wedding last week, so, you know, we had to be there. So we left super early. So it's not, we're not always late, but we're late sometimes in circumstances that we absolutely never expected to be late in. I'm curious what your your take is. The idea that remote work has left employees less in the mood to put up with distractions and inefficiencies of office life is something that uh, people are spending a lot of time on. You know, there's a comedian, Mike Birbiglia, who I think is actually very funny. And he's got this Netflix special. It's called Thank God for Jokes. And in it, he asks the audience members to clap if you're a late person. And then while everyone's clapping, he says, what late people don't understand about us on-time people is that we hate you. And I, I really think there is something to that. You know... If I do this radio show, I've got to be here ready to go and prepared at 1 a.m., right? Because the show's going on without me. So you got to be here no matter what. And I guess the thing that I found perplexing in so many different areas of life is that more people didn't have that mentality. They say, oh, you know. You know, the worst is I worked for – um a city council member. And I noticed that the meetings, the meetings of the city council, the stated meetings, which is the big, you know, meeting where everything gets done and gets voted on and stuff. They never started on time. Not once. Not once ever started on time. And because they never started on time, the council members were never in the council chamber at the time they were supposed to be there. And then because the council members were never in the council chamber, the meetings would start even later. So it was just this horrible cycle of everyone knows the meetings don't start on time, so nobody gets there on time. Because nobody gets there on time, the meetings don't start on time. And then it goes on and on and on. But for a while, when the city council swifted, uh, switched to remote work and having their meetings remotely, they did start having their meetings be on time. I'm curious if that's continued now that the meetings have gone back to in person. I got to ask some of my friends that are on the city council about that. My suspicion is that it has not, but your take on being on time. Are you an on time person? Are you a five minutes late person? Are you a 20 minutes late person? And have you noticed this trend that they're talking about in the style section of the New York times where it's no longer fashionable to be fashionably late. Joe is in Queens. Hello, Joe. Yeah, let me tell you this story because, you know, at the time I was doing movie extras to a degree, you know, as a second thing. And uh, they wanted you to be in, say, 8 o'clock in Manhattan or 730. All right. So I take an early train and the talent agency has your the people's name on a list and you sign in. Now, I get there. I'm on a line for like 20 to 25 minutes to sign in i get to the thing and the to the table and the girl says you're late and i said well i was here almost a half hour ago at 7 30 for the eight o'clock thing i've been on a line for almost a half hour so she considered me late by not being up to pick up you know sign in with the number i was on a line for a half hour so it's you know actually a half hour early so they went one more day, and the next day I got there like an hour and a half early just so I didn't avoid the conflict. But that's that's an angle to that where you're there, but they want you to go through some sort of line or whatever or a check-in. 
and uh, then uh, you, you know, then they claim you late when, when I was there. Right. Actually. Well, that's yeah, a good so. point, Joe. That doesn't seem fair at all. You know, and, and, and thank you, Joe. When you go to vote, you know, in New York, the polls close at 9. If you're online to vote by 9, they let you vote. Uh, so you don't have to have cast your vote by 9. You have to be online, in, you know, to vote by 9. And it's interesting, this change, which suspiciously few of you are commenting on, this change with people's relationship with the clock is also affecting the restaurant business. The CEO of Open Table, which I use all the time, Debbie Sue, said they're seeing since the pandemic a surge in online res- reservation activity. Whereas there used to be more walk-in people, people are now planning ahead and scheduling the timing of their meals. Diners, meaning not the restaurant, but the, the patrons, they're also booking earlier reservation times. Which I think is pretty interesting. So, um, so eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. If you want to comment on that, here's another thing that I think is interesting. Alexa, which is a smart speaker, by the way, Alexa, volume six. I, I like giving Alexa res- commands over the radio. Watch this. Ready, Alexa, play William Shatner songs. So now, anybody that's listening to me with a Alexa device nearby. It just started playing all sorts of William Shatner songs. By the way, I'm curious if it started playing all of you the same song or different songs. So give me a call if your your smart speaker just started playing Shatner. Let me know which song it was because I'm curious if it was the same song for everybody or if it was different songs. But Amazon's smart speaker, I won't use the the A word, is doing something that I can't decide if it's nice or just creepy. Apparently, this Amazon smart speaker may mimic voices of the de- of dead people. Uh, and they said this could make memories last. So you could give. So Amazon announced eight days ago. That it may soon feed may soon feature mimicking voices of customers, dead relatives within its Alexa products. The senior vice president and head scientist for Alexa said during an announcement in Vegas the other day that this feature is part of a greater initiative to build human empathy. With so many lives lost during the pandemic, Amazon believes this feature will help bring and keep connections to those no longer on this earth. These attributes have become even more important during the ongoing pandemic according to this fellow from Amazon. While AI can't eliminate that pain of loss, it can definitely make their memories less. You know, it reminds me of that film with uh, Joaquin Phoenix, Her, where this famous philosopher, the name escapes me, long after he's dead, he stays alive as a form of artificial intelligence. And meanwhile, one of the characters falls in love with another artificial intelligence and that artificial intelligence falls in love with this dead philosopher and it sounds like him i think shatner is doing something like this actually where he's planning to be kept alive as a hologram as an ai hologram which is kind of cool but you know i I go back and forth with this because i have a lot of relatives that i've lost that i've been close to uh you know my uncle carmine my grandmother my uncle caesar 
and uh, my, you know, many others, my Aunt Connie, my Aunt Jenny, and uh, a lot of close friends. My friend George Weber, who spent, who was spent most of his life on the radio, literally. I would love to hear their voices again and say new things, and I treasure a lot of the recordings that I have of these people, but if they're saying words that they never said in real life, I don't know. It strikes me as sort of a weird substitute. There's something kind of creepy about it, but as creepy as it is, and even though I know that's not my relative speaking through the smart speaker, I would definitely try it out. And you might say, Alexa, you know, tell me a story like my Uncle Carmine told me. And I think I would like to hear that. That being said, it is a little creepy. So this feature is not yet accessible on the Amazon smart speaker. It's something that the company is exploring due to recent advancements in text-to-speech technology. I think it's right around the corner. This is what uh, this is a sample of what it might sound like if your smart speaker were to be talking like someone's dead grandmother. Alexa, can Grandma finish reading me The Wizard of Oz? Okay. But how about my courage? Ask the lion anxiously. You have plenty of courage, I am sure, answered Oz. All you need is confidence in yourself. So it is interesting. Look, Superman, after his father, Jarrell, passed away, he had those crystals from Jarrell to rely upon for advice, for wisdom. The difference there is Jarrell recorded that stuff while he was alive, right? I mean, if if this is stuff that people never did, is it weird? I think it is. What do you think? 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Nate Michelle, who's an Amazon spokesperson, told Fox News that uh, we've learned to produce a high-quality voice with far less data versus hours of recording in a professional studio. So uh, for some people, they think this is nostalgic. For others, not so much. Uh, David Kessler is an author and grief expert in California. He told Fox News about some of the fo- the side effects, potential effects this could have on someone who might be grieving the loss of loved ones. Some people might find it comforting. Others might find it disturbing. I think it has the potential for complicating the grieving process for some. I agree with that. Uh, I do. I do. But if you're hearing someone's voice, is it necessarily any different from... Looking at some old photos of them? See, I go back and forth. It is and it isn't. So, I don't know. It's creepy. It is a little creepy. You know why? Do you really want to hear a robot voice? Because it's not going to have the same inflection. It's not going to have the way they talk. Imagine like Rodney Dangerfield. Hey, Rodney Dangerfield, no respect at all. Can you hear, I'm Rodney Dangerfield. No respect at all. But let's say they can match the inflection. But how? But I, I don't know. That, how I mean, would they I, match I'm, the inflection of your dead relative? I, I, I don't know. I'm not going to question it. Unless there was claim, a million recordings of your dead relative. They claim that uh, they claim that that's a direction that they're going. So uh, on social media, responses to this announcement from Amazon have been quite skeptical for the most part. So... Um, 
some people are into it. Some people are not. Mike's in the Queens. Hello, Mike. Hey, Frank. Um, I think that that's a very dangerous development that Alexa uh, is willing to do deep fakes of users or former users' voices for uh, whatever reasons. That can be easily misused and manipulated by people. And if, for instance, if your own voice could potentially be deep faked by Alexa, uh, that people can do great harm to you uh, without you ever knowing about it. <laughs> well, that's true. So I, I, uh, that That's true. And uh, I don't know how this would work in practice. I don't know if um, people would need to give permission for this before they passed away or something along those lines. But you're right. Uh, this opens up. You were an Eastern European hacker, you know, <laughs> you, you, you could easily misuse this uh, to, to for, for instance, have someone Give, uh, oh, no doubt about it. Online. No doubt about it, Mike. Yeah. You certainly can. Another Mike just emails me. Hello, Frank. Time waits for no man or woman or anyone in between. On time or slightly before, it shows consideration for others and their time. I agree. I agree. Although, again, when you get to play that seven-month-old card, it does give you a little flexibility. That's the only way to function efficiently. Thank you. 800-848-WABC. Adrian is on the Upper West Side. Hello. Hi. I'm ag- I'm against this Alexa uh, voice thing because, I mean, you could seriously mess with someone's mind. Like, say there's a dead relative and you could, uh, I mean, you know, a person could really misuse it to make someone think they're being haunted or to destroy. Uh, well, that's crazy. true. That's true. <laughs> but I imagine once knowledge of this technology becomes more widespread, people will start to suspect that this is exactly what's happening rather than a uh, rather than, you know, an actual haunting. Yeah, but then you'll put all those paranormal experts out of work. And how would they know <laughs> the difference? <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Thank you. 800-848-WABC. Kevin is in New Jersey. Hello, Kevin. Hey, Frank. What's up, man? Uh, good good subject, as usual. Um, my brother actually passed away a couple months ago. Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, thank you. It was very tragic. It was very sudden and very tragic. And a friend of mine is uh, a very musical guy. And I was sitting in my car. I was all bummed out. I was thinking about my brother. And he sent me something. Without knowing what it was, I started playing with it. And I sat in my car crying my eyes out. He actually took videos of my brother off of Facebook. And he made a song with my brother's voice on it. And it was the most brilliant thing, the most amazing thing. I, I called him and I cried. And I, I, it, I to hear his voice like that in a, in a different context in a, in a song was one of the most brilliant things I ever, ever heard in my whole life. Wow. Really so yeah, give me your amazing. take on what uh, Amazon is doing by allowing, let, let's say, would you want to hear your brother uh, read you a story or uh, tell you about the day's news in his voice? I would love it. I would absolutely love it. I would treasure every minute of it. Yeah. I have another recording of my, I had another brother that passed away six years ago. And I had a voicemail on my phone, and I save it every like year. It comes up. You have to like. Well, save but, it but again the difference, Kevin, and and I I do similar things like that. But the difference is that voicemail was actually left for you by your brother. What Amazon is doing here, they would be using your dead brother's voices to to have it say things that those guys never said in real life. 
Yeah, I think I would still love every yeah. minute of it. I hear Absolutely. you. Just to hear their voice at all, saying anything, you know, uh, yeah. would be amazing. See, Kevin, that's where I come down is, you know, I do think, it, to Matt Blaze's point, it's creepy. But for some of my loved ones, I'd love to be able to hear their voices again. Saying anything. Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. Well, Kevin, right. you've had a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of rough times, it sounds like, the last few years. I hope everything's uh, yeah. going better for you. Good luck. Thank you, Frank. Thanks for listening. It, all right, Alex, you have something to add here? Well, yes, I actually I realize this is another Chris, Chris and the Catskills type of moment. But um, the other day, after I was coming home from work, I was in, a, I was in an Uber, and the driver uh, told me that he was the owner of a company called Hello Again that does something sort of similar to this, where people um, can make recordings of themselves to send to their loved ones after they pass away as a form of closure. And he was telling me that when his father had passed away, when he was his, when he was very young, actually both of his parents passed away. I think he's, he mentioned that his father had done this for him and it provided him with a lot of closure. And so um, while I think this is kind of weird, you know, the, the, uh, Amazon AI thing, it might actually be a nice way to give people some closure. Hmm. It might be. It might be. That would have been a good talk topic when you encountered that. Maybe if you weren't so busy pining away for bananas, you know, you would you would once in a while write down a talk topic, say, Frank, you know, this happened to me. I encountered this guy. It might be an interesting something ha- to well, talk about. Well, I have about. his card if well, you no, ever want to reach out to him. We just did it. We just did it now. I mean, I, I, I was luckily able to come up with it. You know, without without your assistance here, but I, you know, half the time I don't know if you're ever gonna go for something or or well, you always not. Gotta but... suggest though, you gotta you know, right. you, hit, you hit more home runs and more at bats, right? Matt plays my out of line on this one. No, that, that's true. That's right. Instead of worrying about plantains and bananas, right? that's right. He... Trying to tell the difference. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. <laughs> You know, he, he showed green, me a pic. He showed bananas. me a picture today that he took in Wawa that was like, "Oh, it made me think of you," and it was a picture of bananas. Hey, at yeah. least you're being thought of. <laughs> at least you're being thought of. We'll continue with your calls in a moment. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Straight ahead. The other side of midnight with Frank Morano, seventy seven WABC. Side of midnight. I'm Frank Morano, 1 800 848 WABC. Stu has been waiting patiently from Ulster County. Hello there, Stu. Frank, good evening, or good morning, I should say. Good morning. I'd like to make a comment about <clears throat> the on time thing. Great. The uh, medical profession, doctor's offices specifically, have destroyed that kind of uh, relationship how many times have you gone to a doctor and had to wait for an eight o'clock appointment an hour and a half to see the doctor um and they have this attitude and i've i've experienced this i am a doctor you are not and 
I've also experienced that in legal legal um, meeting with our attorney. We'd make a 9 a.m. appointment. We'd finally get to see him at 10. And I'm like, what the bleep? You know, uh, that is a great point. Has that changed since this trend towards punctuality began? Have you noticed doctors being on time at all more? Never. I can tell you this. My wife has worked remotely, telecommuter-wise, for 17 years. She's never had a problem. She loves it. And she gets on when she gets on. And if she's done with her production, whether it be eight hours or eight and a half hours, she gets off. Uh, if she's if she's good in her production, she gets off an hour early. No commute, uh, um, no commuting, no wardrobes, no nothing, and she's paid very well to stay at home because the benefit to the corporation, as they are finding out, is like, why am I paying two right. and a half million dollars a month for right. office? office suite yeah well and that is precisely what the the experts say is driving the move towards punctuality is the movement of people out of the office that's a great observation uh both of those Stu. thank you 800-848-9222 unfortunately i know a lot of you had asked about this uh so let me give a a quick update on this and then we have some other updates which are better news uh last thursday a week ago my wife took my uh, our cat, Bathsheba, for a biopsy, and unfortunately, uh, the cat does have uh, lymphoma. So we're very, uh, very sad. Uh, Rachel was very broken up about this today. Uh, we're going to um, – th- this is just a veterinarian, not an oncologist, so the they couldn't stage her, her cancer, but uh, she gave us a referral – to I think four or five different oncologists, and the um, recommendation from the veterinarian was to go to the oncologist that we could get the appointment first. Uh, none in our area, but there's some in New Jersey, some in Pennsylvania, and some some elsewhere. So, uh, the the obviously the vet ca- you know couched everything through the lens of you know I'm not an oncologist, so I can't say with certitude, but she said that. Um, if she were to guess as to the stage of the cancer, she would say it's probably stage one. But she cautioned that she couldn't say. So hopefully, hopefully that's the case. Hopefully we caught it early and that the uh, the cat will respond well to um, whatever. I mean, we'll see. We'll see what the oncologist says in terms of their recommendations of what sort of treatment to give Bathsheba. So I know a lot of you had asked about that. So I wanted to update you on that. Now, the other thing that we've been that I've been chronicling you on is the adventures of our furniture. I told you this couch that we got and my mother corrected me cuz she bought us this couch. Um this couch that we got in December of last year is is one section of it that's already falling apart. They sent a repair person and the repair person if possible somehow made it worse. So yesterday my wife says to me um the Folks from Raymond Flanagan called me and she said, she said, the repair person is not going to come and fix our sofa. 
And I, my immediate reaction, I said, why did they hear about what happened with the Ikea guys? And her response was, no, they're, they don't want to be bothered. They're just sending us a new sofa. Now, uh, there's a replacement warranty or a repair warranty for the first year, which we're covered under. And then there's a, um, a replacement warranty that goes five years. So I said, well, we get one replacement. I said, does this count as our one replacement? And so apparently what they told Rachel is, no, it doesn't. Is that if it go something falls apart with this sofa in the next four years and we want to replace it, we're still going to have that option. So this falls under our repair warranty, even though it's a replacement. Does that make sense? It's a pretty good thing. I was kind of um, I was kind of dismissive towards Raymore and Flanagan when I first brought this sofa situation to your attention. So now that it looks like they're doing the right thing, I mean, they still gave us a um, a sofa that is a piece of garbage but i figured i should at least let you know that they're doing the right thing here i mean it's going to be an enormous inconvenience but they're at least doing the right thing in terms of uh replacing the sofa last item i'll mention of things going on in our household about two years ago we were at my sister-in-law sharon's and in her bathroom we, you know, we spent the night, and in her bathroom, in her sink, she had the most wonderful hand soap I'd ever experienced. It was a liquid hand soap, rosemary mint, from uh, A La Maison. Right, my wife immediately purchases this soap. As soon as we started using it, we made this our go-to hand soap in the kitchen, in all the bathrooms, and a funny thing happened. Every time someone is over our house, we win over new converts for this soap. It smells so good. You immediately smell clean just by using this rosemary, lavender, not lavender, rosemary mint soap. It's amazing. It's just, you ever immediately smell cleanliness and it's not just cleanliness, but you feel at home. You feel comfortable. It's really incredible. So we this has been our go-to hand soap for the last year and a half, maybe two years. And then whenever we have people over, they say the same thing. Where did you get this soap? And then they get it for their house. So amongst our circle of friends, everyone's using this rosemary mint masson hand soap. And apparently now... We are victims of our own success because (laughs) I go to the bathroom yesterday and my wife has two hand soaps in there. One is kind of clear and one is kind of whitish. Both of them say hydrating hand soap. Neither of this is the go-to hand soap that I've come to expect for the last two years. I said, honey, what's going on here? Now, I, I've said, you know, money's kind of tight for us right now. And she said, they've raised the prices. It's now $20 a container of this handsome. She said, you know, given our finances and our budget right now, there's no way I can justify spending $20 on hand soap when I can get a similar bottle of hand soap for Seven fifty for six fifty for seven dollars. So I, I couldn't argue with that, but I can't help but wonder 
if maybe because all of our friends and family got hooked on this hand soap when they came over and started using it, as we did when, when we discovered it at uh, Sharon's, who I call Ariel Sharon's, when we, when we discovered it at Ariel Sharon's house, the, you know, the prices went up because the demand went up. Now, I know there's an inflation problem. I know there's a supply chain problem. But I, I can't help but think if we're able to restock with this rosemary mint hand soap, and don't get me wrong, we still have it in the kitchen. We have it in our upstairs bathroom, which the larger population doesn't have access to. Maybe we should hide this soap when company comes over so that we're not all of a sudden fighting with our friends over the, in, a, in a battle for this hand soap that's driving up the price. So that's where we are with our domestic issues. Cat has cancer. Couch is being replaced. Rosemary mint hand soap is now going for $20. And now you know everything. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Uh, you want to comment on uh, anything or everything, now's the time. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Len apparently wanted to call in and say how naive I am. You, we have six open lines, Len, so you're welcome to do that. Uh, that is the go-to That is the go-to move on a lot of our listeners' part is to remark about how naive I am. You're certainly welcome to. 800-848-WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. Never too much. Sometimes it can be too much. Sometimes. Uh, 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. That's uh, 1-800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Troy on Long Island, who's been patiently waiting. Hello, Troy. Hey, Frank. How are you doing, brother? I'm great. Thanks for asking. Hey, question. I have a social media site called Wall Street Growth. A Facebook and Twitter page? How can I make it go viral? I have no idea, Troy. I mean, look, if I knew the keys to social media marketing, I uh, would be much farther along than than I am in terms of my own social media uh, virality. By the way, people can follow me on social media, Facebook.com slash MoranoFan, or on Twitter at Frank Morano, also on Instagram at MoranoVision. Here's my my initial reaction, Troy. So what do you do? You give financial advice on here? I give you financial advice. I give information about grants, about um, real estate, all sorts of business business stuff. Okay. So my thinking is that instead of having people you uh, do it, you should give the same information, only have it done from dogs and cats. I think that would create such a buzz and people would so share it and be so into the novelty of it that that's content that would go viral. You still give the same information, same people speaking, but instead of it being mouthed by people, it's mouthed by dogs and cats. 
Give it a shot. Give it a shot. Thank you, Troy. 800-848-WABC. Laura is in the Queens. Hello, Laura. Yes, hello. Hello. You know, that's frightening about Alexa. She's like everywhere. She is. She is. (laughs) She's spying on you right now. Exactly. I don't have one. Well, and that's what's so frightening. She's still frightening. She's still spying. Yes. Yes. I mean, the fact that you can give a command over the radio and all these Alexas are activated is a little frightening. Mm-hmm. But, you know, do you remember of the name of a movie? And I don't recall. It was something like Captiva. And it was the, the there was the, the actor. I don't recall his name, but he had red hair. But the daughter dies and he's like some A.I. It's like a futuristic uh, setting. And he recreates the daughter like in this humanistic robot. And it, it again puts in uh, all of her past thoughts and everything that she had done online, and recreates her. And this sounds kind of well. That's to that. you know, there's been a lot of films like that, right? Um, you know, there was the yeah. film yeah. Uh, AI, which it was a similar yeah. premise. There's an episode True. of The Twilight Zone that's like that. I don't remember oh. the specific film that you're referring to, but there are. Uh, there are a, a few films like that, and I mentioned her, which deals with that. Look, um, yeah. you know, I'm trying to get on this week, uh, next week, I guess, the Google engineer that uh, developed that um, that oh, bot yes. that became Conscience, and he and I are in yes. touch. Uh, so uh, that could be next level in terms of what yeah, we're seeing exactly. here. So it's very exactly. it's very scary, but it's also very exciting on one. On, yeah, on and it is comforting in certain respects. It is comforting, but I think you're right. Whoever that mentioned. There is there is that state of what they call quote unquote complicated grief, where people just just have it have a hard time with it. But that gentleman who lost the brother. Oh, that was that was touching. It that was, was very, Ab- very absolutely, absolutely. And just, listen, good luck with your cat. Don't give up hope. Thank you. No, you no, know, no believe me. Stage, uh, I've known cats that lived a long time after treatment with the lymphoma. God yeah. bless you. Thank you. Thank All you. The best. Happy fourth. Thank Be you, well. Laura. You too. Oh. Appreciate that. Hey, uh, by the way, back by popular demand. We have a brand new edition of my mob podcast, The Racket Report. This is really interesting. Uh, In this interview, you might have seen in the New York Post last weekend, they did a profile on this guy, Stratus Morphigan. He's written this book, and it's really interesting book. It's called Be a Disruptor. He's a restaurateur, and I really like this guy, i got to tell you. He's the owner of the Brooklyn Chop House, grew up in restaurants, and the basically the aspect of it that the New York Post focused on, and I know Curtis is going to have a lot of fun with this over the weekend, was that he was basically being shuck, um, shaken down by gangsters at his restaurant 30 years ago, gangsters associated with John Gotti Jr. And the part that the Post focused on was that this guy, Stratus Morphigan, told you know these gangsters to go F off, essentially. So... I spoke with him this week about, and again, so, so far we've spoken with gangsters, gangster lawyers, uh, journalists, children of mobsters. I'm still working on nailing down Judge Gleason, who's a famous mob prosecutor and then a judge. But um, this is a restaurateur who was friends with gangsters and then was shaken down by gangsters. Um, It is a little small little clip, and I don't even know which part of the podcast this is, but... It's a little bit of my discussion with Stratus Morphigan 
owner of the Brooklyn Chop House and the author of the book, Be a Disruptor. If you had to pick one, the greatest lesson that you learned in your experience of dealing with people that were trying to extort you, what would it be? What is the biggest lesson that you learned and that you would teach to others who might find themselves similarly situated, maybe not by the mob or the feds, but by somebody at some time? Most of these mobsters, which I call the thuggish ones and the ones that have, you know, no morals and no boundaries, you just yell cop and they're going to start running. So for the person that didn't have a Ralph Coppola in the back pocket to support and help him, you know what? You just cry cops and they're going to go running. Because remember, I'm a civilian. And if you got a problem, you know what? You just go to the cops. I didn't want to do that back then because to me that was like, you know, I grew up in the market. To me, being a rat, I would have called myself would be a rat. But in truth, I wouldn't have been a rat. I'm a civilian. And I go to the police when I have a problem. So it's a fascinating discussion. We spoke for about an hour. And um, it's worth hearing. If you want to uh, listen to that podcast, go on iTunes, um, go on uh, CastBox, go on anywhere that you can uh, get podcasts and just search The Racket Report. That's something you should be subscribing to. They were giving me a hard time because it had been a few weeks since I came out with a new podcast. And, I, and I, they read me the Riot Act this week. I'm letting you behind the scenes. I said, look, you know, it's been a couple of weeks. You got to start doing these or we're going to take it down. I said, look, I'd rather do one of these every three weeks that's quality and get good people to be on the podcast rather than just churn them out and not retain that same level of good quality. So um, we'll see. I'm going to make an effort to be more diligent with getting these podcasts done. But the most important thing you could do is subscribe to The Racket Report, wherever you get your podcasts. It's also on WABCRadio.com. There's some great stuff on there. If you haven't heard the previous editions, people have really been wowed by this podcast. If you are already a subscriber, uh, help us out. Give us a five-star review. That will help a lot of people discover the uh, the podcast, The Racket Report. All right, 800-848-9222. Uh, oh, <laughs> one other funny thing that I wanted to bring to your attention. I found it funny. And then we'll get to your calls in just a minute. Do you know, you want to know how to be healthy? Okay. Be a flamingo. Practice being a flamingo. You want to live longer? Strike a flamingo pose. I'm not joking. You heard me right. Balance is evidently a strong indicator of our overall health and keeps us from falling and hurting ourselves especially as we get older. New study published in the journal British Journal of Sports Medicine, researchers asked people between the ages of 51 and 75 to balance on one leg with their heads up and their arms at their sides for 10 seconds. 20% of them failed. And when the scientists followed up after seven years, those who failed the tests were 80 4% more likely to have died than those who had passed. This one-legged pose is key because we encounter it all the time in our lives, such as when we step out of cars or climb stairs. And you remember, falling is the leading cause of injury-related death for people over the age of 65. So try the flamingo test. I'm going to start this right now. Um Try the flamingo test. If you're struggling with it, there are some simple ways to improve your balance. Practice. That's the best way. Practice, practice, 
practice. Start trying to balance on one leg while holding a chair or leaning up against a wall for support. Then work your way to a freestanding position. Uh, Two is walk or jog. That strengthens your legs and your core. Three is bike. If you're able, biking is an even more effective way to find your balance than walking, jogging, or running. And this is another interesting one. Practice Tai Chi. The ancient Chinese martial art can be light on the body and excellent for balance. They're often reasonably priced group classes. I'm not going to try Tai Chi, but I, I promise you I am going to start practicing more. All right, see, we got to – I'll do it during the break, the top of the hour news, because if I have my head up, that means I can't speak into the microphone. But I am going to do this. So balance on one leg with your head up and your arms at your sides for 10 seconds. All right, I'm going to – See, can I do this? 800-848-9222. I'm going to go to a caller as I try and do this here. Uh, Joe is in Ronkonkoma. Hello, Joe. Hey, Frank. I want to wish you a great holiday weekend, a great show that you got going on. Um, I, I want to send my best uh, to your cat. Uh, my whole family's praying for uh, your cat. Um, I know I've been through it with my dogs. Uh you're like family members, and you, you got to stay strong. Uh, by the way, I've been uh, listening to your Ragnar report. Uh, really good. Uh, really good. It's, uh, when I'm doing my lawns, I have my earbuds in, and I'm listening, and it's really interesting. Thank you. That's awfully nice of you, Joe. All of that. The uh, the well wishes on the holiday, the well wishes on the cat, and uh, especially the compliment on the racket report. That's very nice of you. Happy Independence Day to you, Joe. All right, thank you, Frank. Have a good weekend. Appreciate it. Thank you. Hey, by the way, so just uh, while Joe was speaking, I did do that test. So I tried first while just balancing on my left leg, my left foot, and keeping my right leg up. That was no problem. I did that for about 20 seconds. And then I switched legs. It was a little tougher when I was trying to balance on my right leg. I'm doing it right now. It's a little tougher, even though my head's not up. That was a little tougher. I had a tough time making it to 10 seconds balancing on my right leg, I guess, if you're right-handed, are you also right-legged? No, I think you're left leg, right? Probably makes sense because you trying to think when you throw, you step forward with your left leg. But, yeah, if I'm right-legged, then it would be easier, I would think, to balance on my right leg. So um, I'll practice. I'm going to do um, – I'm going to try and do as much of the show as possible balancing on my right leg until I get tired. Len is in Beth Page. Hello, Len. Frank, it doesn't look good for you on your legs. It doesn't. No, you can bounce on the E of the leg. But listen, when you talk about Giuliani and uh, Wilson and everything else, you have to understand, like, Long Island is a whole different ball game. All right. Well, I mean, do you care to elaborate? Yes. Zeldin won because Long Island is Nassau and Suffolk. Republicans come out and they vote. And it wasn't like Westchester where Astorino lost. Giuliani has no support. So Zeldin won by 20%, right? 20, 25%. I told you that last week in a text, and I think you brought it up. But you have to understand, like, Long Island is where Republicans can win. Well, Len, uh, that's certainly going to be the key for the general. If they can run up the score in Nassau and Suffolk, They'll be very well positioned uh, to win statewide office. So, look, um, yeah, maybe you're right, Len. Zeldin won. That's where Zeldin won. And 
nobody else could win there. Like Wilson, they were done. They were done. Astorino, like Astorino, he lost two or three times before he even ran. Right? Len, uh, I, I'm sorry, I got to run. He did indeed lose thrice before running. Until next hour, keep asking questions. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. Everyone, this is the other side of midnight. I'm Frank Morano. So I spent most of the last two minutes just now balancing, and my initial conclusion is correct. So I can balance perfectly when I'm standing on my left foot and standing on my left leg and holding up my right leg, but it takes a lot more effort. It's much more difficult for me when I'm trying to balance on my right foot. And hold up my left leg. Is that, I'm wondering if that um, is common to have better balance on one foot than the other. I'm going to research that, but I'm going to I'm going to practice this balancing on one leg for ten seconds. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to practice this more. Um, I'm going to so now that I know that I have better balance on my left side, I'm going to try and go ahead and uh, improve the balance on my right side. So I'd be curious. But by the way, don't don't try this and get hurt and then blame me because it's the last thing I need. Believe me. All right. Without further ado, it is time for me to denounce some people that need denouncing. It is time for the other side of midnight presents denunciation. I must begin by uh, denouncing the secretary of energy, Jennifer Granholm, a government watchdog, the U.S. Office of Special Counsel has determined that she violated the Hatch Act after she made comments in support of the Democratic Party, but they left her off, they let her off with a warning because she had not received proper training. Let me just say, now look, she shouldn't have violated the Hatch Act and she should have received proper training. That being said, can we just get rid of the Hatch Act? It seems like whoever's in power, whichever administration, Democrat, Republican, you have all these leading members of the administration and all these leading members of the cabinet all violating the Hatch Act by saying partisan things or saying political things. Here's a news flash, okay? If you're in the cabinet in this day and age, you're there because of politics. Chances are pretty good that you have some interest in political goings-on. Can we recognize that rather than continue to enforce or at least talk about enforcing this law that's got to be, you know, I, I think it's 100 or 200 years old. It's so silly. I mean, again, Jennifer Granholm is not only getting the warning, but a formal denunciation from me, which is not something that she should take lightly. However, uh, let's just stop. Let's do away with this hat jack. I want to denounce the terrorist in Norway that shot two dead people and injured 10 others. In this shooting at a nightclub in Norway, this um, nightclub, this Norwegian citizen opened fire at the London club, uh, excuse me, the London pub, a local LGBTQ plus bar in Oslo. 
just a few hours after the, a few hours before, rather, the Oslo Gate Pride Parade was set to take place. The suspected gunman was a 42-year-old, originally from Iran. He's been arrested, and um, he opened fire at three locations. It looks to me this is someone who is not only bigoted against gay people, but probably a jihadist. I want to denounce Gene Rugo, a Republican state Senate candidate in Rhode Island, who decided to voice her displeasure at an abortion rights rally by punching her opponent. Rhode Island Democratic State Senate candidate Jennifer Rourke was punched in the face by her Republican adversary, Ms. Lugo. And what makes this even more obscene is that Ms. Lugo is a police officer. She was an off-duty police officer, and she's running for office, and she thought it would be a good idea to punch her opponent at this abortion rights rally. That is totally uncalled for. Look, people can disagree when it comes to politics. I've disagreed passionately with both friends and political adversaries. There's never a need to get violent. There's no no call for that. No, no reason for that. So, Ms. Lugo, I do denounce you. I must also denounce... The mayor of Redland City in Australia. Sorry, Kiss, it's not Austria, it's Australia. So, this is a real piece of work, this particular mayor, Karen Williams. She crashed her car drunk after meeting the families of drunk driving victims. So... Just one hour after she met with the families of drunk driving victims, she drank several glasses of wine and crashed her car into a tree. How tone deaf do you have to be right after meeting with drunk driving victims to then drink and drive? Come on. There's no excuse. I was just telling a friend of mine the other day how, you know, There have been times when I have had too much to drink and I've driven, and I'm not proud of that. And But for the grace of God, did I avoid killing someone, killing myself, or being arrested? But in this day and age, where everyone's got an e-hail app on their phone, why would you ever, in a thousand years, ever drink and drive? To me, there's no excuse for this. And that's the one thing... When this new technology comes out that doesn't let you start your car if you're drinking and driving, that is the one thing that I'm I'm really looking forward to about that is putting an end to this stuff. In this day and age, I mean, look, there's never been an excuse for drinking and driving, but there were times in society where it was much more inconvenient to not drive home after even if you've had too much to drink. That's no longer the case. It's it's more convenient to just t- take an Uber. Um, I want to denounce Dan Ball. Dan Ball is a host on uh, One America News. And there's this article about him written in uh, the Daily Beast. I believe this is by my friend Diana Falzone. 
And uh, and it's uh, her partner on this article is Justin Barragona. And there are credible sources in this article that indicate uh, Dan Dan Ball has left the cable channel, by the way. I think in part because of behavior like this. He hurled a phone at a producer. Now, according to four current and former staffers, OAN host Dan Ball's workplace behavior prompted at least one person to leave the network. Um, Ball hurled a phone at a producer during a heated newsroom confrontation. That incident, the culmination of a volatile feud with the producer, saw the employee part ways with OAN shortly afterwards. Um, I don't understand that at all. You know, there are times when I get frustrated with people that I've worked with over the years. I, I don't think you can ever point to an instance where I've done something like this. I've heard other stories of other people who've done something like this. I'm trying to think if I've ever seen anything. I don't think I have. But... It's very rare. I, I, to me, you just got to learn to manage your anger a bit better and manage your stress a bit better. Look, at the end of the day, we're all passionate about what we do. There's no need to get violent with people. I feel like I'm saying the same thing to Dan Ball that I'm saying to Gian Lugo. I want to denounce Airbnb. I'm very disappointed in what Airbnb has done. This past Tuesday... They announced a global ban on parties. Now, the company says they're permanently banning disruptive parties and events. Okay. Um, But that includes invites. uh, That includes what they call open invite gatherings. Party houses, which people book to throw a large event for just one night, are staying banned as well. I have thrown these parties. And in fact, I do one largely in, in New Year's in Atlantic City every New Year's Eve Eve. And you know what? We take care of that house. We make sure nothing happens to it. We make sure everything's cleaned up. Myself, my housemates, we take pains to make sure this house is in tip-top shape. Why should we be penalized because of what some other jokers are doing? Look, that's the whole reason you give a deposit when you rent one of these houses. Something gets broken, it comes out of the deposit. So I I have a big problem with this blanket policy. There are people like me and my friends and family that know how to party responsibly, and we should not be prohibited from throwing a party at an Airbnb residence. And I am very disappointed by this decision. I must also denounce the California Attorney General. Uh, It appears that the California Attorney General... I, I, I hope this is not the case. And I hope this is one of those instances where I have to take back this denunciation. But it appears that uh, the California Attorney General, Rob Bonta has leaked the names and addresses of California's legal gun owners following the Supreme Court ruling on concealed carry. Last week we talked about it. The Supreme Court issued this decision striking down the New York gun law that puts, um, you know, concealed carry of a gun, you know, in public, has a lot of restrictions on it. 
Less than a week later, it looks like the California Attorney General leaked the state database of names and addresses of legal gun owners and concealed carry permit holders. California gun owners, um, maybe it was accidental, but it looks deliberate. So this, to me, is really outrageous, to use a Rita Cosby term. This, to me, is absolutely beyond the pale. Um, I mean, just think, if you're a criminal or a drug addict and you're looking to steal a gun, and now this database of, um, you know, of gun owners' names and addresses is out there? I think this is outrageous. Also, they leaked the names and the identities of people that were denied concealed carry permits. So think of that in California. Maybe you've got a cash business, or maybe you're a celebrity, maybe you're an actor, and you wanted a concealed concealed carry permit so that you can carry a gun. And you applied for a permit and were denied one. Now all your enemies know you don't have a concealed carry permit. Regardless of how you feel about the Supreme Court's ruling, this behavior is completely unconscionable. And uh, Attorney General Bonta, perhaps I'm risking indictment by saying this, I do denounce you. I must also denounce the practice of watching television with the light on. Oh, yes. Light during sleep in older adults is linked to obesity, diabetes, and high blood pressure. In a sample of older men and women ages 63 to 84, those who were exposed to any amount of light while sleeping at night were significantly more likely to be obese and have high blood pressure. Don't fall asleep with the TV. Turn off your television. Turn it off. Turn the radio on. Fall asleep with the radio. Let me be the soundtrack of your dreams. Penultimately, I want to denounce Samuel Garner Affleck, the 10-year-old son of actor Ben Affleck, who, this kid is old enough to know better. If he's not, shame on his parents. This young man got behind the wheel of a yellow Lamborghini SUV on Sunday and shockingly smacked the pricey sports car into another vehicle when he accidentally went in reverse. Ben Affleck and his fiancée, Jennifer Lopez, were at a luxury car rental dealership in L.A. when their, when 10-year-old Samuel got into this fender bender. Affleck let his son jump into the driver's seat of the flashy car. The car, a Lamborghini that rents for about $1,400 per day and costs a quarter of a million dollars to buy, went into reverse and made contact with a white BMW. Samuel Affleck then got out of the car, checked on the two cars. Ben Affleck also checked for damage and comforted his son following the incident. Come on. Come on. I mean, I'm sure the cars in this lot are parked tightly together, but come on. Maybe that's why you shouldn't have 10-year-olds in the driver's seat. Come on. I didn't crash any Lamborghinis at 10. I made a lot of mistakes. Never crashed a Lamborghini at 10. All right. Uh, Finally, 
Let me denounce the shooter who apparently we still don't have an identity for. Of the the the, the shooter or shooters of a 20-year-old woman who was shot while pushing a baby in a stroller on the Upper East Side. This is a very nice neighborhood. I know a lot of people that live in this neighborhood, not exactly a high-crime area. And this woman, while pushing a baby stroller at 20 years old, was shot in the head. If this doesn't exemplify what a crisis that we are in when it comes to crime in this city and in this country, quite frankly, I don't know what is. A 20-year-old woman shot in the head while pushing a baby stroller. Think of that. Not even old enough to drink. And she's being shot in the head while pushing a baby stroller. G-G-O. Man, oh, man, is Shevins. <sighs> Very frustrating. All right. Um, coming up in just a minute, we're going to talk with Charles Kupchan. All of you people that hate my Russia coverage and hate my Ukraine coverage, listen closely. Because you're going to hear another point of view. Because that's what we do on this show. We try to have other points of view. We did that. Previously on the Russian-Ukraine issue, we had that debate between Michael Averco and Richard Bay. I thought it went very well. I thought both men acquitted themselves well. I'm working on putting together a similar debate on the vaccine issue. I'm working on putting together a similar debate on nuclear energy. Is the future of this country's energy needs nuclear energy? And I'm working on nailing that down. Well, um, because I had Mark Sloboda on this week, I want to let you hear another point of view. So Dr. Charles Kupchan is a professor, and he is uh, somebody that uh, is very well-respected, professor at Georgetown University, a former member of the Obama administration. So not surprisingly, I think he probably has a much uh, smart, a much warmer view of President Biden's handling of the present crisis than I do. So we'll, we'll find out in just a moment. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. WABC. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight on WABC. I'm Frank Morano. If there's one thing that I've sought to do on this show with every single issue that we talk about, it's try to present as many different points of view as possible, even if those points of view are unorthodox or unreasonable or, by some people's estimation, outlandish, especially when there's really only one view that is coming out of the mainstream news media. And I think a good example of the coverage that we've done in that respect, is on an issue that is pretty important to everybody in the world, particularly if you're in North America, particularly if you're in Europe, but really on any continent, and that is the war that's going on between Russia and Ukraine. And in my continuing efforts to try and present all sorts of view, we've had a lot of people on this show who have been... Uh, for lack of a better description, pretty sympathetic to the Russian cause and uh, pretty quick to offer explanations and maybe even some excuses for Vladimir Putin. Now, I have gotten an earful from folks that said, all right, Frank, we get it. 
we get that you're trying to be balanced, but how about you show an expert that has actually some reasons to back up the standard narrative of what's happening in Ukraine? Well, boy, oh boy, do we have an expert for you. Dr. Charles Kupchan is a senior fellow at the Council on Foreign Relations and a professor of international affairs at uh, Georgetown University. He also is a veteran of the Obama White House. Hello, Dr. Kupchan. Thanks so much for joining me on the radio. Very happy to be with you. So one of the things that we've heard a great deal from the people that have a, a different view on the conflict in Russia and, and the conflict in Ukraine than you do is that somehow NATO and the United States provoked this by a number of different actions, including helping precipitate the uh, the coup in Ukraine, which led to the toppling of Viktor Yanukovych. Even the Pope uh, sort of intimated as much uh, recently. Why is that view of Russian aggression in Ukraine flawed? It's flawed because what happened in 2014 is that the Ukrainians decided to affiliate with Europe, to build a trading relationship with Europe. They wanted to look west. Yanukovych gets wooed by Putin, and he says, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to stay with Mother Russia, uh, where we've been for quite a long while. And there's a popular uprising. It's called the Maidan Revolution. People take to the streets largely peaceful until the regime starts killing, shooting people that are peacefully protesting. And ultimately, Yanukovych flees to Russia. There is a peaceful transition of power. There is a free and fair election. And a pro-Western government comes in. And Putin says, I don't like this. This is not very good for me. So what does he do? He grabs Crimea and illegally annexes it to Russia, and then he fosters a populist uprising or separatist uprising in what's called Donbass, a section of eastern Ukraine that is heavily Russified. Uh, Was this, you know, a coup carried out by the United States? That's not. So speaking of the Donbass region, that's the other thing that we've heard from, I don't want to use the term Putin apologists, but those that have a different view of the Ukraine-Russia situation than what you and the president and what uh, leading policymakers on both sides in Washington have, is uh, that the ethnic Russians in Donbass were being charitably phrased mistreated by the Ukrainian government and what we've heard from some of the people there some of the people fighting with the rebels in the Donbass region is that they were actually being killed by the Ukrainian backed government even though they want uh, no part of the Ukrainian government they want to be closer to Russia why is that excuse for this invasion flawed well you know if if you and I had had this conversation 15 years ago I would have said that there are Russian sympathizers, Russian speakers, a lot of folks who live in eastern Ukraine that feel more Russian than they do Ukrainian. They watch Russian TV. They speak Russian at home. They don't, in some cases, know Ukrainian. But the country has changed, especially after 2014, when Putin created a strong national identity around Ukrainian history, Ukrainian language. And then in 
the aftermath of the Russian invasion, the Ukrainian Orthodox Church breaks with the Russian Orthodox Church. And so there has been a peeling away year by year of Ukrainians from their affinity for Russia and the Russian language. Right now, there are 44 million angry Ukrainians who want nothing to do with Russia. The other thing that we hear from Putin a great deal is that uh, part of the goal here was denazification, the coziness that uh, the uh, Zelensky government has with groups like uh, the Azov Battalion has caused a lot of consternation in some quarters. What's the what's the truth, as you see it, with respect to the Nazification of the Zelensky government? Are there far-right activists in Ukraine? Yes. Are there neo-Nazis in Ukraine? Yes. How many? I don't know, a few thousand. Is that regiment that you mentioned a a kind of place where far-right folks gather? Yes. Is that in any way characterization uh, of the larger Ukrainian government? No. You know, Ukraine has a Jewish president, recently had a Jewish prime minister, Jewish life in Ukraine is coming back. It's it's nothing like a, a, a country run by neo-Nazis. That's absurd. You know, if there's one argument that Putin makes that I think does bear a certain resemblance to reality, it is the objections to NATO enlargement. And this goes back to the 1990s when the Cold War ended NATO started taking in members from the former Warsaw Pact, gets closer and closer to the Russian border. And then in 2008, NATO says, we're going to bring in Ukraine and we're going to bring in Georgia. Uh, I think that probably was a bridge too far and in some ways gave Putin an excuse for a land grab. So if there's any argument that I hear from the Russians that has any merit whatsoever, I think it is legitimate for them to be uncomfortable with NATO getting closer and closer to their borders. If people just tuning in, we're talking with Dr. Charles Kupchan. He's a senior fellow at the Council on Foreign Relations, a veteran of the Obama administration, and a professor of international affairs at Georgetown University. Speaking of uh, NATO expansion, it looks like NATO is going to get a bit larger with uh, Finland and Sweden poised to join. And uh, that would seem to actually mean that uh, Putin's goal of limiting NATO expansion by invading Ukraine has sort of backfired because it actually led to greater expansion of NATO. Uh, But when a country joins NATO, I know you're aware, but the audience may not be, they're obliged under Article 5, if one of them is attacked, to pledge to come to their defense. In, in your view, how does America benefit from the continuing expansion of NATO? Putting aside uh, what legitimate gripes Russia may have, do you think the United States stands to gain from a bigger and more expansive NATO? I think that that's an easy question to answer when it comes to Finland and Sweden, because they are fairly large, militarily capable countries that bring a lot of geopolitical weight to the alliance. NATO is going to be a lot stronger with Finland and Sweden in it than with Finland and Sweden outside it. And I think that, you know, the key word that that I want to come back to in your question, Frank, is backfire. 
I mean, this invasion of Ukraine has just backfired in so many different respects, right? Mm. He tries Putin to go into Kiev and topple the government. Doesn't work. He's trying to weaken NATO. Guess what? NATO is deploying all of these forces on its eastern flank. Russia is looking at a long border with Finland, which is about to join NATO. Uh, so re- instead of kind of weakening Ukraine, chopping it up, making uh, the NATO pull back and get weaker, the opposite has happened. This really is uh, a gambit that has blown up in Putin's face. And even in Russia, even in Russia, you are seeing a lot of opposition and heartache about this war. You don't see a scenario in which uh, the Russians will actually ultimately surrender control of Crimea, do you? No, no. My best guess uh, is that this is a war that will soon look more like a stalemate in which the Russians stop trying to take more and more land. The Ukrainians don't make much success in fighting back. And when we get to that point, I think there, there are two possible outcomes. One is that we just turn to what's called a frozen conflict, where the border stays hostile, violent, and it just drags on for years. The second would be a negotiation, some kind of territorial settlement in which there is a reckoning uh, of of this territory that's contested in the in the east, I just don't think that Ukraine has the combat power to expel Russia from its territory. You know, going on offense is a lot tougher than being on defense. Once Russia has dug into Donbas, it's going to be hard to get them out. Well, so let's talk about how the war is actually going. It seems like early on uh, the Ukrainian military re- really exceeded a lot of analysts' expectations of what was supposed to be a pretty lopsided conflict. Uh, these days, it seems like uh, the Russians may have made a bit more headway militarily. What do you see as the current state of the conflict between Russia and Ukraine? Is Russia winning? Is Ukraine winning? Or is it getting closer and closer to what you described as a sort of a stalemate? Well, the, the Russians have clearly changed the goalposts. They started off going after the government in Kiev. They're now looking at taking a slice out of eastern Ukraine. And then who knows? Maybe a year, maybe two. They may go after Odessa. Maybe they'll go back and try to take Kiev. We don't know. But at least in terms of the disposition of forces, the Russians are really focused on these two oblasts or or provinces, we would call them in English, that have historically been more Russified. They've almost got control of one of them. They're not close to having control of the second. Do they try to get to the borders of the province? I think it's it's too soon to tell. But, you know, I worry about uh, several different things. One is the Ukrainians are getting ground down. You know, we're talking somewhere around 200 plus soldiers lost a day. Uh, they're not making a lot of military progress. They may say, you know what, the longer this war goes on, the more deaths and the more territory we will lose. And the other thing that worries me is how this war is blowing back here at home. 
You know, uh, I was driving home last night from Georgetown and I passed the gas station and it was like five seventy a gallon. Mm. Uh, I've got six people in my house, a bunch of kids and a wife. Uh, I got to go to the grocery store every few days. And every few days, the eggs, the bread, the milk, things are going up. And I do worry that over time, the strong resolve that Americans have demonstrated, that Germans have demonstrated, that could wane. And, you know, look at Germany. They're looking at the prospect of gas rationing. They may not be able to heat their homes in November. They may not be able to keep their factories running. So from this perspective as well, I think it's time to start talking about a ceasefire and bringing this war to an end. Well, I mean, that seems to make a lot of sense from everybody's perspective. You have Russians dying. You have uh, Ukrainians that are dying. You have the whole world experiencing not only a a global inflation crisis, especially when it comes to energy prices, but also a global supply chain crisis. Should America be a little bit more willing and enthusiastic about pursuing a diplomatic end to this rather than, as we saw, especially early in the conflict, American officials essentially bragging about how they weren't speaking with their Russian counterparts. Should America be trying to mediate an end to this dispute diplomatically? To date, the Biden folks have said we're we're not going to go there. They've said, you know, this is a war that's being fought by Ukrainians for Ukrainian territory, we will back them to the hilt. And then Zelensky says, we're going to defend every inch of our territory. We will win. Uh, I think that that's not a tenable position Mm -hmm. because I don't think the Ukrainians can win. And I'm guessing that we are almost at a pivot point where you're starting to see Ukrainians talk about winding this war down, and when Biden may begin to pivot and talk about a ceasefire and diplomacy. He's getting a lot of pressure to do that from European, from the Germans, from the French, from the Italians. The U.S. has not yet made that move, at least publicly, but I do think that I do think it's coming. And, and again, let's keep a close eye on the domestic situation here. You know, as we get close to the midterms, I worry that the bipartisanship on this issue that we've seen is going to start to fray and that the uh, the America first Republicans are going to start raising their voices. And I would point out that in the Ohio primary for the Senate, J.D. The Vance Senate, ran J.D. on this Vance, issue. Yeah. Right. What's his position on Ukraine? I could care less. Before I let you go, and I appreciate you being so generous with your time, you brought up energy prices. This was one of the issues that they dealt with at the G7 summit in uh, in Europe this week. And it looks like one of the solutions that the G7 leaders were pretty close to adopting was to implement some sort of a, a cap on what Russians would be able to sell a barrel of oil for. Now, obviously, if the G7 countries want to agree to sort of a gentleman's agreement that they don't pay more than X for a barrel of Russian oil, uh, who's to stop them? But is that kind of a cap really enforceable if Russia is going to sell oil to countries that aren't part of the G7? It's a great question, and we don't know the answer to it yet. You know, the way this works, as far as I can tell, is you say to the Russians, to the shippers, 
to other countries, okay, the price of oil is now $115 a barrel. We will not pay more than $80 a barrel for Russian oil, and you shouldn't either. Now, is everybody going to abide by that? Are the Indians? Are the Chinese? Right? The Indians are now buying large amounts of Russian oil at a discount. They may not want to play ball with the G7. Another thing that could happen is that the Russians could say, no, we're not going to sell you oil for $80 a barrel. In fact, we're going to turn off the spigot. What would then happen? The price of oil would go from 115 to 130 So it's very difficult to predict how this is going to play out. I think it's worth a shot. Am I optimistic that it's going to work and we're going to get Russian oil onto international markets at low prices? I have my doubts. Mm. Uh, Lastly, in a similar vein, the president, President Biden, has been making a big issue of sanctions, instituting further sanctions on Russia. And uh, one of the things that we saw early on was the value of the Russian ruble just crater. Now, apparently, the value of the ruble is higher than it's been in the last eight years. What effect do you think these sanctions are actually having, either from an economic perspective or in terms of getting Putin to change his behavior? Well, they are taking a toll economically. And they will take a bigger bite over time. One aspect that's important here is bans on technology exports to Russia. Anything that has an American component in it, whether it's not a made in America or not, let's say a semiconductor that could be used in weapons or in phones, those those aren't going in. And that over time is going to wreak havoc in certain sectors of the Russian economy, things will be harder to find. But you're right to point out that what's happened so far is that they haven't, these sanctions haven't really worked. And part of the reason they haven't worked is because even though the volume of oil sold by Russia has gone down, prices have gotten so high that they're still earning Mm -hmm. ample revenue. Uh, And so the the bottom line is these are sanctions that hurt. Are they hurting him enough to change his mind? No. What's really going to make a difference? I would say the situation on the battlefield in Ukraine, whether Putin thinks he can claim victory and whether he thinks he can get some kind of diplomatic deal that would allow him to save face and say to the Russian people, hey, this was a win. Well, I want to thank you, Dr. Charles Kupchan. He's a senior fellow at the Council on Foreign Relations and a professor at Georgetown University. Enjoyed the discussion very much. I hope we can do it again soon. Thank you for having me on. I enjoyed it. Thank you. If you want to comment on any portion of our discussion, you're welcome to give me a call. 1-800-848-WABC. That's 1-800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Straight ahead. WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. Mr. Doublelina, Mr. Bob Doublelina, Mr. Doublelina, Mr. Bob Doublelina, Mr. Doublelina, Mr. Bob Doublelina, Mr. Mr. Doublelina, Mr. Bob Doublelina, Mr. Doublelina, Mr. Bob Doublelina, Mr. Doublelina, Mr. Bob Doublelina, Mr. Doublelina, Mr. Bob Doublelina. Mr. Bob Doublelina. 
But by the way, this song has developed a whole new cadre of fans because of uh, our show and uh, because of of Matt Blaze. Uh, people are all about this uh, particular song, and I'm certainly happy to uh, hear it again. But um, Matt Blaze, what happened to a the kind of the patriotic theme of songs that we started with, and the myriad of songs that I have requested this week that we have not yet played. They're uh, on order. They're on order. Okay. All right. Well, always happy to hear this song. Uh, probably uh, probably one of the best songs of all time. Right? Just start right. charting again. From <laughs> I bet it will. You know, um, the, uh, that song that they played on that Netflix show, Stranger Things, from the 80s, that's made a whole massive comeback because of the popularity of that show. And the same thing happened with The Sopranos in the last episode when they played that Journey song, Don't Stop Believing. It made a comeback on the charts because of The Sopranos. It'd be great if we could do this uh, this for this song, Mr. Dabalina, and people are commenting like crazy in the, uh, in the Facebook group. You want to join the Facebook group, you can do so. Morano Radio fans and haters. That's M-O-R-A-N-O Radio fans and haters. I'm going to get to your calls in just a minute. We have one, two, three, four open lines. And it's funny. The thing about uh, summer is that um, you hear a lot of barbecues going on. And I I think I'm going to a barbecue Sunday. But... um, you invite neighbors to your barbecue. That was one of the better suggestions when we did our segment on fun staycation ideas. When somebody said that, uh, you know, have have a barbecue and invite all the neighbors that you don't talk to that often. I think it's a great idea. That was probably the best idea that I heard. So anyway, the couple next door to us, <clears throat> uh, we were friendly with a couple on uh, both ends of our, our street, our house we're friendly with. But the couple on one side. They passed away. And so their house was just sold. And we went and met the new couple that moved into their house. And they seem like a nice, nice couple. They have a, a young child. I'd say he's about six or seven. They have a dog or two. Seem like a great couple. I think they're Russian, so they appreciate all of my pro-Putin commentary. And um, my wife and I went over there to I had met them because I spent a lot of time sitting on the porch working or occasionally smoking a cigar and drinking some uh, whiskey. I had, I had met them, but she had not. So we went over there. My wife brought over an apple pie. And that's what you do to be neighborly. You bring over an, an apple pie. And they were super nice. And this is what was interesting. She said to me, my, my wife, they were telling us about what they're planning on doing in the house. And our former neighbors, an older couple that passed away due to COVID, unvaccinated, by the way, I'll just saying, just saying, they they had this vegetable garden. And we really like this vegetable garden because they would occasionally produce vegetables and give them to us. And so the new fellow that moved in, he said he's not into gardening. So they're going to take out the whole garden that's back there. And just pave over it and put just put cement back there. My wife said to me when we got back home, she said, you know, it's kind of it's kind of sad. I feel bad for Sam and Maria. The, their garden was their whole life. They put so much work into it. They would be sad to see it go and to have it just paved over and be concrete. 
I said, yeah, but, you know, I guess if they're not gardeners, what are they supposed to do? And my wife said, yeah, you know, you don't buy a house because you don't want to make any changes. So that's what's happening on the left side of our home. Now, on our porch, you will see two flags. I want to put up four flags, but my wife has limited me to two. So we have on up the New York State flag because I'm a proud New Yorker and the United States flag because I'm a proud American. I want I would love to get up the New York City flag as well, but my wife is exercising her flag veto on that. So I'm going to alternate the New York City flag and the New York State flag. And I'm going to try and put up the New York City one tomorrow. But anyway, so that's the image. You go to our house, you'll see two flags, the American flag and the New York State flag. So my neighbor on the other side, yesterday, I'm, I'm, I was helping my wife bring in some groceries. Now, again, keep in mind, what's a normal time for the rest of the world is the time that I'm kind of just waking up, right? So if you come to our house 3, 3.30, 4 o'clock, 4.30, sometimes even 5 o'clock, you will see me in, in pajamas. I'm in pajamas until, you know, 9 o'clock, basically. I am, um, you know, in a bathrobe usually in pajamas. So my wife needs help bringing in groceries from the car. So I go out there, bring the groceries in, and I get called from our neighbor on our other side, Deborah. She says, you know, my father wants to talk to you. And her father's a retired cop, great guy. I think he lives there also. She says, all right, I'll be, I'll be right there. Let me just put these groceries down. And she says, it's ridiculous. That's what her characterization was. It's ridiculous. I said, okay, well, I like ridiculous. Let me put these down. I'll come right out. Put the groceries down. I go out, and I go over to her father, who's sitting in his car in front of their house. And he says, I understand from the American Legion that if you have two flags up on your property, the one on the left is supposed to be the American flag. And I said, well, from my perspective, sitting on the porch and looking out, the one on the left is the American flag. And he said, now, the protocol is, is that if you're looking at the house, the one on the left is supposed to be the American flag. So I said, okay, good. I'll, I'll switch it. So I, I don't want to be committing any etiquette faux pas. So I immediately switched both flags, the American flag and the New York State flag. So now... It's in proper order. And this weekend, if we do our transition from the New York State flag to the New York City flag, you will see the New York City flag or New York State flag on the right and the American flag on the left. So that's where that's where that whole situation is on. Um, so this weekend, I'm supposed to meet a friend of mine uh, for lunch, lunch ish. It's breakfast for me, but it's lunch for him on uh, in the afternoon. He's one of these fellows that's very persistent. Like, uh, he'll say, do you want to have lunch? I'll say, can't do it. Next week, he'll ask, do you want to have lunch? Can't do it. You want to have lunch? Can't do it. And then, But he's so willing to accommodate my schedule, he doesn't mind coming around the corner from my house and doing it at 4 o'clock. So I, I ultimately have to have lunch with him. And he's a delightful lunchtime companion. He's probably listening right now. Uh, big shout-out to you, Nick, if you are listening. Looking forward to seeing you for lunch. But, you know, there's something to be said for consistency. And... um so that's today's schedule. And then usually I have this group of friends that I get together with every Friday. Saturday, we are going out to Long Island. 
My wife has some photos to take out there for some Newsday work that she's doing. And then we're going to try and uh, connect with some of our friends that live out in Suffolk County. My sister-in-law lives out there. We're going to try and see her. I'm going to try and see TikTok star Flipper, the former producer of the Bernie and Sid Show. I asked uh, Juliet if she wanted to try and meet up for a cup of coffee as well. Uh, Juliet Huddy, who I haven't seen in a couple of months either. So hopefully we can uh, we can catch up in person. I'll report back. And then uh, Sunday is my mom's birthday, but my mom has to work. So I don't know that I'm going to see my mother for her birthday. Happy birthday to you, Mom. Uh, I don't want to spoil her birthday surprise, but she is in store for a commendation on Sunday night into Monday morning, which leads me to Monday. We are going to be here on Monday. I well, I will be. Matt Blaze is taking all of next week off. What are you doing next week, Matt? Where are you going away? What's your story? Staycation? Staycation. Staycation. And what's on your agenda for the staycation? Did you get any good ideas from the listeners that called in? Well, where I live is a destination. The Jersey Shore. Uh huh. So what do so you go to the just, beach? Yeah, just hang out. Go to the boardwalk. I you know, I live at the shore, close to the shore. I haven't been to the boardwalk in years. It's one of those Which things. Which boardwalk are you close to? Um, I'm closer to Point Pleasant. So that's the one you go to? Point Pleasant, Seaside Heights, in that area. So I'll go to that one. But it's I'm a people watcher, so you can just sit on the boardwalk and just watch everybody. That's fun. I like that walk too. By. I like that too. Uh, so Monday, the rest of us will be here, not Matt Blaze, because and you know it's funny. Did you ever see the movie Talk Radio? Talk Radio is a wonderful movie. If you're a fan of this medium of talk radio especially nighttime talk radio, in my view, there's no better film that captures the magic of overnight talk radio. Eric Bogosian as Barry Champlain. First of all, he's a great talk show host. He's phenomenal in this film. He wrote it also. I saw the film. The film is great. It still holds up just as well, if not better today, than it did when it came out in 1988. And then... When they brought it back on Broadway, and I'm not somebody that goes to see a lot of shows, I went and saw it on Broadway with Lee Schreiber in that role. Lee Schreiber was good, but he was no Eric Bogosian. I don't think anybody's Eric Bogosian. Eric Bogosian is so great in everything. You know what it is? It's his voice. He's got that voice. It's just great. But anyway, there's this scene in uh, talk radio that I thought about. Um, reading word for word, and then I'll tell you why I decided not to. But on Monday, beginning on Monday, this is the plan, and I know the the best laid plans of mice and Moranos always often don't come to fruition. But beginning on Monday, we are going to be carried on the Nevada Talk Radio Network. Excuse me, the Nevada Talk Radio Network, which is a series of of um, radio stations in Nevada that are going to be carrying this show from going forward. So uh, I believe it's four stations all over the state of Nevada, some good stations. And uh, I'm excited to be on in Nevada. It's uh, we're on. We're going to be on Pahrump, Nevada, where Nevada. See, that's the first thing they teach you about being on in Nevada is you saying Nevada, not Nevada. Um, we're going to be on in Pahrump, Hawthorne, Amargosa Valley, Fernley and Fallon and the Carson City, Reno area and in Eli as well. So it's one, two, three, four, five, five radio stations and one TV station in Pahrump that carries a radio signal. So we're going to be on all over the state of Nevada. 
Very excited about that. So I was going to read verbatim the scene in the movie talk radio that Barry Champlain reads before he right after he learns he's going to be syndicated and he does this whole thing, this whole spiel about how beginning Monday and he makes up all sorts of stuff. And I was going to read it word for word. And then I remembered how that film ends. And I thought maybe that's not the best omen. That's not what we want to do after maybe the same thing could happen to me after I read it. So I'm not going to not going to do that. But um, and also, you know, it's not as if we're going to be on in 500 radio stations, but I'm happy to be on on these four or five radio stations in Nevada. And uh, we'll try and, um, you know, uh, hopefully we'll have the same success in Nevada that we've had here in New York State. So because we're launching on Monday, we didn't think that it would be appropriate for me to take off the first day that they're carrying our show. So I will be here on Monday celebrating Independence Day with you. And uh, that means, you know, again, uh, a lot of, there's a lot of partying that goes on on Sunday, not necessarily in honor of my mom's birthday, but because a lot of people are off the following day for July 4th. So I probably will not be participating in a lot of this revelry, even though we were invited to a number of a number of parties. My wife and I are we had a barbecue last summer at our house and we are planning to do so again this this year. And so. The perpetual tension in our marriage is I want to hang out with everyone and my wife wants to hang out with almost no one, right? So while we're planning this barbecue, my wife says, please do not have 200 people come. Last year we had 100 people. We had 99 people one day and then one person had the wrong day. He showed up a day later. But... um. So I said, let me make a first draft of a list, and she sent the list, and we spent most of our time together yesterday negotiating who would be invited and who should be not invited. I'm fighting for certain people, and, and she's she's fighting to uh, get rid of other people, and then other people are getting X'd out just because of the category they're in. She says, no, you can't invite him. I said, why? He was so great last year. She said, nope. I established a rule for no politicians because I don't want to... Just I want to not invite so-and-so, and and I knew you were going to protest if we didn't invite so-and-so, so so I'm making it a blanket rule for no politicians. So the negotiations are continuing. However, as I went through the list, she said, you know, you have a couple of your former co-workers on here. Don't you think you should put a couple of your current co-workers on here? I said, Matt Blaze is not going to come. He doesn't leave his house. Alex Barnard doesn't leave Manhattan. Ryan, nobody knows what his story is. We're lucky if we get him to come to work. Avery, you know, he'll be asleep. So um, she said, well, all the more reason you should invite them, especially if they're not going to come. So my wife fought for you guys. You're all invited. I'll give you the details. Until then, your influence counts. Use it. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano.
everybody. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Uh, by the way, also on Monday, uh, not only will I be doing this show live, but I will be, uh, uh, since Bernie and Sid are off, our boss, El Jefe, El Capitan, John Katsimatidis, will be filling in for Bernie and Sid from 6 to 10. I am going to be on that show as well, I think, in the 6 o'clock hour. So if, for those of you Moranaholics out there, who can't get enough of me with the podcasts and the radio show and everything. Not only will I be live for four hours in New York and in Nevada, but I will be on uh, towards the beginning of the Bernie and Sid show with John Katsimatidis on Monday morning. Uh, Those of you that are holding, I will get to you. Those of you that would like to comment on anything else that we have covered, you're welcome to give me a call. 1-800-848-9222. Now, um, I do like the show The Sopranos, and so I've talked about this before. I'm a fan of the show. I think it's a great television, and it has nothing to do with the mob. or uh, I mean, it, the show has to do with the mob, but the reason it's good is just because it's compelling drama. It's really, really well acted. Are you a Sopranos fan, Matt Plays? You are. You are. So anyway, I, yeah, I, I, got, I got into the um, – I really got into it again recently because – my wife had never seen the series, so we went and rewatched the whole series from start to finish. So um, I had interviewed Michael Imperioli when they launched this podcast, he and Steve Sharippa, who plays the character of Bobby Baccalieri on The Sopranos. And um, I started listening to the podcast at the time, but I stopped because I said, no, you, they review each episode on the podcast. It's really cool. It's a really great podcast. And I said, well, I should do this after I've rewatched the episodes so that it's fresh in my brain. So that's what I did. So now I'm listening to this podcast, and it's really good. It's a good podcast if you have the episodes fresh in your brain. So I'm listening to this this, this podcast episode is from a year ago. I happen to listen to this episode, and they end up discussing Kojak. One of the actors that was in one of the episodes happened to be on Kojak. And they're talking about Kojak. And Steve Sharippa, who who is great on this show, and he's been a guest on the Bernie and Sid show several times, and he's always great. And he's a real character. We've got to get him on this show one day. He makes a comment, and it was just kind of riffing, but it really made me think. Listen to what he says. And then I'll tell you what it made me think of, and then we'll open the phones to you. By the way, Debbie Schlussel will join me at 4.30. Uh, we'll not only talk movies and get her recent movie reviews, because it's apparently going to be stormy and raining on Saturday. So a lot of you who are not driving to Long Island will be home, and you're going to have to uh, find something to watch. Hopefully Debbie can give you some tips. She's also a pretty accomplished attorney, so we'll get her take on uh, some of the legal decisions that have been occurring recently. But this is Steve Sharippa and Michael Imperioli, courtesy of the uh, Talking Sopranos podcast. You know what I liked in Kojak that, that Telly Savalas hired his brother? Was it George? His brother, uh, George. Who wasn't an actor at all, you can no. see, but I just love that. Complete nepotism, and I love every minute of it. Yeah. He just said, and I'm the star of the show. I want to give my brother a job, and that's that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That is pretty cool. <laughs> I'm off like the Wayne's brothers. They hire each other. That's the way it should be. Now, so 20 seconds there, but it got me thinking. Tully Savalas 
was the star of Kojak. And he was great on Kojak. I love Tali Savalas in everything. Uh, Dirty Dozen, tremendous. Uh, Kelly's Heroes, tremendous. Amazing, amazing actor. And, of course, Kojak. Um, So it got me thinking about nepotism, right? Now, I think every field, because I made a list of areas that are permeated with nepotism. And you know what I came up with? It's every area. Business, film, television, politics, the mob, publishing, music, you name it. And I started making a list of the best examples that I could think of of nepotism. And you know what I found? Sometimes it really works out really well. Sometimes it doesn't work out so well. And sometimes nepotism, of course, you know, for those of you that aren't up on the term, is basically giving a, a family member, like like Steve Sharippa says of, of Telly Savalas, giving a family member a job because they are a family member. So not because of their qualifications necessarily. But a lot of the time, it has sort of no effect. They kind of look for somebody that they can just park somewhere. So I made a few examples, but I thought it would be fun if you called in with whatever you thought were the best examples and the worst examples of nepotism. Now, my brothers are both very bright guys, very bright. I would not try to get them a job as on the radio because they're not radio guys. They, I, I don't think they could do it. I mean, they're both smart guys. They could maybe be a guest with me one day. But it's not in their skill set to be a talk show host. I have one brother, brilliant scientist. He's a Ph.D. I have another brother, brilliant musician, very talented. I don't see either of them talk, hosting a talk show anytime soon. By the same token, if uh, my brother Nicholas, Dr. Morano, is looking to fill out his team of uh, Ph.D. biochemists, he's not going to be calling me. Because I'm not up to that task. Uh, if my brother Alex is putting together an orchestra, he's not calling me. So, you know, everybody has their own skills. So I came up with a few examples, but I'd love to hear good examples and bad examples of nepotism in your view. 800-848-WABC. Here's what I came up with so far. Look, Robert Kennedy, Robert F. Kennedy Sr., As attorney general and as John F. Kennedy's chief advisor, you wouldn't be able to do this today because of anti-nepotism laws. This is a guy that clearly was the beneficiary of nepotism, but I think you'd have to acknowledge this worked out pretty well. By Most historians say that RFK's steady hand during the Cuban Missile Crisis, for instance, inured to the country's benefit. So that's an example of it working out really well. Also in the political arena, the presidential level. Look, Jared Kushner, would he have ever been a senior advisor to the White House or the president if he wasn't the president's son-in-law? No. The guy did a great job. The guy negotiated the Abraham Accords. The guy was, by all accounts, Democrat and Republican, was the leader of the first step back that put together the criminal justice reform did a great job and by all accounts was a very stabilizing influence in the white house now sometimes it doesn't work out so well in the area of film 
Godfather Part 3. Everybody loves to talk about how that's such a terrible movie. Why is it a terrible movie? I hate to say this because I don't like to bash anyone's performance. It's lacking. The worst thing about Godfather Part 3 is the lead actress in that film, Sofia Coppola. Now, would Sofia Coppola ever have gotten that role if her father wasn't the director? Of course not. And look, she's a very talented filmmaker. She's made a lot of great films. She's not an actress, and it shows in that picture. But Francis Ford Coppola's sister, Talia Shire, who's not only great in Godfather, but she's great in Rocky, that's a perfect example of nepotism working out well. Um, in in uh, the same vein, Nicolas Cage. Do you think Nicolas Cage, whose real name is Nicolas Coppola, ever would have gotten his big break in acting if his uncle Francis didn't put him in a film early on? Probably not. Certainly he wouldn't have exploded in the manner in which he did. Um, I think that's an example of nepotism working out positively. If um, So it, it, most of the time it works out neutral. Do you know who Sean Hannity's senior producer of his radio show is? His brother-in-law. You know, you hear him refer to Sweet Baby James. Great guy, wonderful guy. He would not be in that job but for the fact that he's Sean's brother-in-law. Do you know who Geraldo Rivera's senior producer is to this day? His brother, Craig Rivera. Now, sometimes nepotism, it always has these evil connotations, but sometimes those are the people that you most trust. Geraldo, and I know Geraldo, and I know he feels this way, he feels that the one guy he can always trust is his brother. And the one guy that he can always yell at without fear of somebody getting upset with him is his brother. So he can be a little tougher with his brother, and he knows he can count on his brother. But um, they both, you know, some just care. Sometimes it doesn't work out so well. In in pro wrestling, that's an area where we've seen uh, nepotism. Bruno Sammartino's son tried to become a professional wrestler. Bruno Sammartino, some people think the greatest wrestler that ever lived. His son was just awful. He never should have been able to be a professional wrestler. And had he had a last name other than Sammartino, he never would have. Um, Hulk Hogan's nephew, uh, Horace, same thing. Ric Flair's son, same thing. But meanwhile, his daughter, very accomplished wrestler. So uh, I am curious if you could think of a good example of how nepotism may have worked out. It doesn't matter the field or a poor example of how nepotism may not have worked out. Because that was interesting. I was thinking about that. See, that's how I know a talk topic is interesting. If I hear like a 20-second throwaway conversation, and then it leads me to think for 20 minutes. And, you know, one example of it working out very poorly, just going to the mob, John Gotti. John Gotti lived to be a gangster. And when he was sent to prison... Do you know who should not have become the boss of the Gambino crime family? His son. And if his son had any other last name, he wouldn't have. Then when his son went to prison, do you know who should not have become the boss of the Gambino crime family? John's brother, Peter. Peter was a sanitation worker, right? Let's take the most powerful criminal organization in America and give it to a garbage man. Somehow it didn't work out. Didn't work out. So sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. You can comment on anything you like. Um, 
800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. I will get to everybody here before we get to uh, Debbie Schlussel. Chris is in Beth Page. Hello, Chris. Hey, Frank. A couple quick ones. Uh, Ron Howard always has his brother Clint in his movies, if you notice that. Yeah, do you think and that? I think that's worked out pretty well, I think, right? I think so. I was going to put it in the category it's worked out well. Mm-hmm. And if you remember, Clint Howard was the star of Gentle Bent. It's, you know, so he actually... Well, and you know, and he's in a great episode of Star Trek. Oh, okay. Have you seen uh, that one where he's the, he's the alien, the kid that drank the Tranya? Oh, you know what? Now it kind of rings a bell now that you mention it. Okay. Yeah. And Frank? Yeah, I'm listening to you. Oh, okay. And then one other quick one that kind of didn't work out. I'm a big radio fan, mm-hmm. and... I tell you, Imus used to bring the oh. uh, program to a screeching halt when he put Deirdre on. I'm serious. It was must not listen oh, to Oh, I, I completely I agree say, with you. Although I will say, I did enjoy his brother Fred. He had his brother Fred on from time to time. And Fred kind of had an earthy way of looking at things. Uh, so I kind of enjoyed that, but I could not stand when Deirdre was on. I, I'm so, with you. I'm with you on that, Chris. Great examples. 800-848-WABC. Can you think of an example of nepotism working out well and another example of it working out not so well? 800-848-9222. Larry's in Brooklyn. Hello, Larry. Hi. Hi. Frank, undoubtedly the worst case of nepotism that's unpublicized that ever existed, in my mind at least, is Donald Trump appointing his nephew, Jared Kushner, and Ivanka, I mean, his son-in-law, Jared Kushner, and daughter, Ivanka Trump, right away. When, 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 as, a, as a senior senior advisors, not just, you know, minor advisors, they should have had Giuliani's role. That wouldn't have been bad at all. But the point, or janitor, maybe, you know, clean up the White House. The point is, when you, when you hire your own people to be the senior advisors, first of all, in the case of Jared, that may have contributed to the most all-time uh, worst uh, scenario where Chris Christie was alienated because Jared had a problem because he prosecuted – Christie prosecuted Jared's father, and as a result, Christie was not hired in a role, and he was angry, and he recommended – the current FBI director to Donald Trump. Okay, he might have done that as a grudge, and that you see the disaster that that happened. Well, but uh, so Larry, uh, don't you think Kushner deserves some credit though for the negotiation of the Abraham Accords? Oh, uh, in retrospect, you might say you might say he did. But let's let's let me say you know did you know Ivanka had thirteen patents on Chinese? Uh, she had a patent on coffins. In China, that's like the biggest. That's like hot dogs at Shea Stadium. Coffins in China. She was capitalizing on China more than anybody, and he hires. Now, as far as Jared Kushner, does he get credit? In retrospect, why not? But I mean, but so just because he stands out in one area does not negate the act of nepotism that that brought about. about, What about what about about, um, Kushner's role? In the First Step Act and criminal justice reform. Uh, you want to relate all of Kushner's positive roles? Uh, well, no, I mean, just those two that are good. pretty big. He's good, but it was, it was a disgusting act, though. It was an act of arrogance, tremendous arrogance. Well, well nepotism um, always is, though. That's what, that's what I'm saying. Look, was it any more or less arrogant than Robert F. Kennedy being appointed as attorney general? No. You know, so, I, I mean, nepotism always is. And this goes back to the dawn of the republic. 
But even before that, it goes back to the Roman Empire. It goes back to Jesus' time. There was nepotism among the apostles. 800-848-WABC, uh, 800-848-9222. Jim is in Union, New Jersey. Hello, Jim. Yeah, good morning, Frank. Uh, I enjoyed your interview with uh, the professor. It seems that we should follow what your boss said about energy production. If the United States would ramp up natural gas and oil production, send whatever we can to Europe, it would drive down the price of oil. Our gas prices would go down. Europe would be relieved. We put pressure on Russia and Putin, and the war would be, I think, over. But the ideologues at the Biden White House refuse to do it to the detriment of the United States and Europe, and it's just unspeakable. And uh, if you get a chance, you do a great job. Maybe uh, you can ask some of these guests what their opinion is on that. Jim, I think that's a great idea, and I, I've spoken with John about that uh, on the air and off, and I agree with him and you. Uh, I think um, we uh, being energy independent would be a tremendous boon to our economy and to the whole inf- inflation prices. In fact, when John and I are on the radio together on Monday, I suspect that is one of the issues that we will be Dealing with 800-848-WABC. Steve is in Manhattan. Hello, Steve. Uh, Monday, do you want me to call in as Steve from Manhattan, or do you want me to just flat-out prank the show with the new listeners from uh, the West Coast? Yeah, well, I I mean, they're probably familiar with your work as it is, so I think you could call in as Steve. All right, great. And uh, that signal in Nevada bounces around the West Coast. California, your audience is going to get very big. It's going to get humongous. And it's it's expanding, of course. And people should really know, too, New York, Detroit, California is the future of America. You, you brought up California where they released the, uh, all the people who owned guns and were licensed in the state. I think a criminal w- would not want to really go to your house if they knew you had a gun in there. They look for easy targets. They look for an open field when they do their thing. But the hard left plays hard, and they play for keeps, and they want to publicize people's names. They want to embarrass them. And they want to just, you know, they, the other list was the people who were turned down. Those are the ones who might have a problem with getting their homes robbed. Yeah, well, I mean, you shouldn't be leaking any of this information. Of course not. But the hard left, people don't realize the hard left plays hard. They play for keeps. There is no opposition. They, they're running, for, listen, they're running wild. Their, their last goal and the last thing to capture is winning all the elections, and they're going to do it. New York is gone. California is gone. There's so many states that are gone, and then all these people run into Calif- I mean, into Texas and into Florida. They're going to turn those states into liberal states eventually, and in New York and California are going to just vote the way they currently vote. There is really the, the problem, folks, I'm going to tell you right now. I was a young guy at the time. I gave up a lot of purchasing uh, money uh, to make instead of going into the business world and making more money. I try to get a guy elected president. This is 30 years. You people are whistling past the graveyard. This thing is long, and it is gone this country because they didn't want to do what was right 30 years ago. This guy, you had this guest on, he filibustered every question. Uh, later on this morning, I'm going to get a bacon and egg sandwich, and I'm going to blame the price of that sandwich going up because Putin is a serial killer. No, <laughs> this, they, 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 this guy this guy turned off the spigot. This guy, uh, Biden turned down. If you're a business guy, Frank, right, 
would you be investing in oil fields in America? I don't think you would do. They don't think that way, okay? They know they're being they're hunted down by the hard left. They're the enemy, and they, they want to turn this country upside down, and they're doing it. Inflation is the best way to destroy the middle class. People can't afford what's going on. I went to, in some of the places in Manhattan, $4 for a can of Coke. It's ridiculous. But you have to realize now, folks, the hard left inside this country is all over the place, and they are playing for keeps. And now, Frank, if you want, we could – talking about gas, we could have Get At Steve right now if you want. Well, you know, we'll hold off on in. Get At Steve. Thank you, Steve, because there's a lot of people that do want to comment and that have been patiently holding. 800-848-9222. Kate is in Danbury, Connecticut. Hello, Dan. Hello, Kate. Hi. Good morning. Um, I'm siding with your wife with the uh, reduction of guests coming to your house. And what do your cats do when you have 100 people at your house? Well, they I have two cats myself. They go and in, they go ahead. They run. Sorry. No, no. I'm sorry, Kate. Go ahead. No, my cats run for cover and you have three cats. What do they do? Well, they they stay in um in either our bedroom or the spare bedroom. We we close the door and they they you know they hang out in there. Okay. Well, have a good weekend with your lovely wife and baby Carmen. He's adorable. Thank you very much. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. It is Carmine, but so be it. All right. Um, I'd love to get some other good nepotism examples as well, if we can. Janet is in Manhattan. Hello, Janet. Yes, I have a great nepotism example, and it's very interesting the way it played out. The first time I really heard that term was when President Kennedy nominated his brother Bobby to be the attorney general. And there was lots of talk, oh, this is terrible, this is terrible. But it's a very interesting thing. There's a great documentary, which I guess you can you can find. It was I don't know when it was produced. I think in the 1990s. Well, it was it was put on television in the 1990s, produced in the 60s. It documents Kennedy deciding how he's going to go about integrating the University of Mississippi. Um, and he's in the Oval Office. You see Kennedy rocking back and forth in his rocking chair. You know, he had a back problem, and he was very comfortable in the rocking chair. And he's got four or five of his trusted advisors around him, including Bobby Kennedy, directly to his left. And when other advisors speak, he listens. You can see he's listening to them. He's mulling over what they're saying, but he doesn't really look at them. He kind of looks down. He's got his hand on his mouth, you know, listening, listening to their advice. Every time Bobby Kennedy opens his mouth, he looks up and looks at him. Well, I cited that as one of the successful, Uh that was the first one that I mentioned, one of the successful nepotism examples. Also, as I said with Geraldo and Hannity, sometimes the only person you feel like you can trust is your brother. I mean, that's why Peter Gotti was appointed boss of the Gambino crime family, because that's who John Gotti trusted. It's true. 800-848-WABC. Leo on the Upper West Side has been holding a while. Hello, Leo. Frank, uh, I'm going to give you two examples of nepotism, and I'm going to let you explore it because it's going to be much better. James, Joe, and Hunter Biden. Mm -hmm. And uh, Cuomo, Cuomo. Well, I think those are all examples of nepotism that have not worked out well. I think, um, you know, uh, whereas Bo Biden, I'm sure. He collects millions of, of, of uh, corrupted money. Yeah. Hunter and, and Joe Biden. Yeah, but it hasn't worked out well for, you know, the country or for the people that they're supposed to be serving. 
you know, if you look at Bo Biden, for instance, Bo Biden uh, was someone that I'm sure benefited from his father being a political powerhouse in Delaware. But as attorney general, he had put together a pretty, pretty solid record in Delaware. The same can't be said of Joe Biden's brother and his other son, Hunter. Peter is in Spark Hill. Where's Spark Hill, Peter? It's in Rockland County. It's uh, it's not too far from the city. It's 25 miles north. Great. All right. Happy to have it's you. Right, it's right across. It's right across from the uh, Cuomo Bridge from Westchester County. <laughs> My sympathies. All right. So, uh, what's on your mind this morning? Well, I, 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 a perfect example of horrible nepotism would be De Blasio and his wife. Over a billion dollars disappeared. And the excuse was, I don't know what happened. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've seen for governors, mayors and presidents, they always usually put the first lady in charge of something. I guess you could say the same thing with Hillary Clinton when Bill Clinton put her in charge of the health care system. That didn't exactly work out too well. But, yeah, that's a good example. 800-848-WABC. Charles is in Queens. Hello, Charles. Yeah, hi, hi. Hi, hi. I hope I'm not up again against uh, heartbreak. First, I want to say a great Well, there, there are no heartbreaks on a local show, but yeah, go ahead. Okay, uh, a great nepotism case is, is Jared Kirshner and Ivanka, but I, I won't go into it. I'm just countering what the other guy said. Um, I wanted to give an ex- explain by listening to the January 6th inquiry or whatever you want to call it or show is should be actually illegal. Let me give you very quickly two examples how it's totally unreliable. Let's say they're trying to prove something against X. And X quotes, I I am a man. Then later they show that five minutes later, and they prove it, five minutes later on the same tape, he says, I'm not a man. See, he changed his mind. No, he didn't. Listen to the rest of the tape. I am not a man who lies, whoever lies. But if you just listen to the part, he says, I'm not a man. No, listen. Well, later. I, yeah, I, I made a sim- and thank. Or, or as an example, Russia and America had a race. I'm making this up, okay? America won, Russia lost. So what does Russia print? In yesterday's international race, implying that many were running, but it's not really a lie. And they say Russia came in in second place, and America came in next to last. It's true. America won against Russia, but it came in next to last. Whereas Russia. Lost, but they came in in second place. Just a little lie in yesterday's international race. So when you hear just a one-sided, and we do all get influenced because we're human. We shouldn't even listen to it, especially who we're dealing with. We're dealing with people that did what they did. They ought to get five years prison at least in the Gulag. What they did to to, to, um, to Justice Cobain, I forget his name, Kavanaugh. The, the ugliness of that is beyond words. And 51 swore that the the the, the, the um, hunter's um, laptop is a lie. Fifty-one intelligence agents, that's an oxymoron to begin with, swore. What? And nothing happened to them. That's besides the point. But those are the people we're supposed to give any credence to? It, 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 it's hysterical. Or, or the barking. All the right, Charles. All right, all right, all right. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. Todd is in Maplewood. Hello, Todd. 
Wow, that was a really good ending. Um, yeah, the, the example of nepotism I'm going to bring up is the comedian Dan Cook. Oh. He put his brother. Yeah, he put his brother in charge of all of his stuff when he was going. When he was going big comedian, and he started making tons of money, and he was moving from one state to another, and he wanted him, his brother, to send all the paperwork to either his lawyer, financial advisor, and he was being really slow. So he went to the bank to figure out what was going on, and his brother had stolen millions. Like all wait, wait, the brother stole millions? Yeah, he's in jail now. Oh man, I didn't know any of that. Wow. This is Dane Cook. It was it was on a podcast that just yeah, came across I, I, the call. That's interesting. I'm going to look into that because I've never really understood nothing against him, but I've never understood why Dane Cook is famous. I don't find him to be particularly funny, but whatever. Humor is one of those things that's subjective. I don't have to find it funny, but and he does well. I thought you were going to say, oh, he's suddenly he's related to someone like Paulie Shore benefited from being the son of Mitzi Shore. I thought you were going to say it was something like that, but that's interesting. I'd never heard that. I didn't know any of that. Steve is in New Jersey. Hello, Steve. Hey, good morning, Frank. Uh, an example of nepotism was successful would be Vincent Kennedy McMahon in the WWE. You know, that's a perfect one. I think that's an example where, um, you know, and the John Gambling family, I think, is a similarly good example. That's an example of it working out really well, whereas, uh, you know, Vince McMahon probably wouldn't have had the opportunity to have a wrestling territory if but for the fact that his father was Vincent J. McMahon. And it, look, it it was incredible. And the success that he had, it he made it bigger than his father ever dreamed of. That's a good one. Hey, Debbie Schlussel is here. We're going to talk movies and the law with her. And uh, But first, we're going to give you an opportunity to win $1,000. If you can answer 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds, be the seventh caller right now to 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And uh, go ahead and call right now. And if you're the seventh caller, we'll give you an opportunity to play the $1,000 minute straight ahead. July weekend, and uh, we are celebrating America and all things America. One of the great patriotic songs of all time, Real American by Derringer. We're going to talk with a real American in just a minute, um, the one and only Debbie Schlussel. And uh, she'll also tell us what movies are worth seeing. But first, we're going to give somebody an opportunity to win some money because it's time for... The Other Side of Midnight presents... It's the $1,000 Minute. Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute, and you could win $1,000. Here's your host, Frank. 
Thank you, Chris Libertini. Let's say hello to Lenny in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Hello, Lenny. Hey, what do you say, Frank? Happy holidays. Happy holidays to you. You know the That's rules, right. right? You know how the game works. I do. Okay, I do. let's get started. Um, name an airline. Uh, Delta. Who is the current First Lady of the United States? Uh, current First Lady is Jill Biden. What day of the week does Anthony Weiner's show air on WABC? I don't know. Saturday. Who wrote the Star-Spangled Banner? Francis Scott Key. What band performed the hits Eleanor Rigby, Yesterday, and Here Comes the Sun? The Beatles. What filmmaker directed Annie Hall, Manhattan, and Broadway Danny Rose? Woody Allen. Who is the only Jewish member of the House of Representatives from New York City? From New York City, jeez. Lieberman? No, from New York City. New York City. Uh, You got Uh, a hint? Well, he's in a very tough re-election this year. Uh, Oh, um... All right, we're out of, out of time, and they would have killed me because you said leave me. Gerald Nadler is the answer, the uh, only Jewish no member of the... I'm, uh, down for, I'm down in Florida again, so I forget. All right. Well, in, in, regards to ne- in regards to nepotism, would, um, would you fall into that category? Because isn't, isn't uh, Curtis your daddy? <laughs> he wishes. He wishes. Lenny, hang on. <laughs> um, give Ryan your information, and uh, we're going to give you a consolation prize, okay? Thank you. All right. Thank you. Have a great weekend. Thank you. You too. Happy Independence Day. (laughs) Uh, Somebody that is a proud uh, American and a uh, proud observant Jew is a friend of mine, attorney, author, political commentator, and film critic, Debbie Schlossel. Debbie, it is great to talk with you again. I've missed you. Thank you. I missed you too. Great to be back. Thanks. What are you doing for uh, Independence Day? Anything? Um, I'm going to go to Neighborhood Fireworks Show and... You know, just reflect on how lucky I, you know, I am super lucky because my grandparents were Holocaust survivors and they were lucky to survive. They were lucky to come to America. I'm so lucky when I think of all the different stories of how on both sides of my family they came to America. I think about how lucky I am and I'm going to reflect on that. That's wonderful. Okay. Hey, so lucky to be here, that, you know, in America. I, I think, well, first of all, we all are. Everybody that's here, however we got here, we're all lucky, and uh, it's great that you are, are so appreciative of that. Um, do you keep kosher? I do. So my sister-in-law, is. Um, she keeps kosher. She's uh, an observant Jew. Do you have any suggestions for really, really good-tasting kosher barbecue items and um, can those be prepared on a grill if they're in a separate area from the non-kosher food? Like, can you throw tin foil on there and then have the kosher meats in the separate section of the grill? You know, when I went to summer camp as a kid, they would put my kosher food in the aluminum foil. And as long as it was wrapped in aluminum foil and didn't touch anything, including mm-hmm. the grill, or the other meats, it was all good. Okay, and so, so any specific recommendations? Are you a Hebrew national gal, or do you, do you like other stuff? What do you like? You know, people who keep kosher, I, I hate to say this, but we really don't trust the kashrut or the kosherness of Hebrew national. So um, I think the hot, the hot dogs that I use, I you know, I rarely have hot dogs. 
and I go to my friend's house and they grill. Um, and I think they have, um, I don't know what, what is the name of the well, brand? I well, what do you, well, I think, what, what, or, well, what do you like? If you go to a barbecue on Monday, because I am entertaining my sister-in-law on Sunday, and I want to go with the Debbie Schlossel recommendation of a kosher barbecue item that she'll, that will resonate with her, uh, what, what do you enjoy? What's, what's, uh, if you had your druthers, you could have anything. What would you pay? I would say either a kosher um, ribs hmm. or, um, not from a pig, of course, or... I would say um, hot dogs or a burger. A steak is good. But I think for the 4th of July, for Independence Day, I like a hot dog or a burger. That's what my friends usually make for us. All right. Well, hey, uh, I want to talk movies with you in just a moment. But I um, want to get your take uh, because you are uh, an accomplished attorney on this uh, decision we learned about yesterday from the Supreme Court of uh, them stripping the federal government of, of, of this, what they call a crucial tool to control pollution. Uh, President Biden has vowed to press forward with his climate agenda after this decision, and he says that it risks damaging our nation's ability to keep our air clean. Putting aside the, the policy implications, what's your view on the legality here? It was a 6-3 to three decision with the court's three liberal justices dissenting. What was your take on this, Debbie? Well, you know, listen, I think that this whole climate change stuff has is, has gone crazy. And I think, listen, these justices are political. Um, they're not just people who think about the law. They are political. And we can see that in the way they vote on the uh, with the divide. And, you know, I obviously side with the conservative justices. And I side with them for... One main reason, and that is big government. We need, we need to get back to limited constitutional government and what the founding fathers thought at the time. And I was just listening today to a quote from Amy Coney Barrett of what she said during her confirmation. And she was talking about how she is an originalist, and she's thinking back to what the founding fathers thought at the time and how judges should not be legislating, and that includes on issues of so-called climate change. Um, this is big government at work when they're trying to do these things, and um, it's bad for business. We already have seen what these measures that Joe Biden has taken on everything having to do with so-called climate change, what it does with the price of gas. Um, I don't know what the price of gas in New York is, but I can tell you here it's in some places $5, in some places it's almost $6. You know, at some point, you have to talk about saving the country, saving the economy, not quote-unquote saving the planet, when it's not going to make a difference. They found that most of these so-called climate change measures even if we were to do everything, even if the whole world were to do it, which they aren't, because basically we're subsidizing China's pollution mm. when we sacrifice doing these kinds of things. Even if the whole world would do it, the degree temperature degree, we think, we don't even know, might stay down if we're lucky, a fraction of a degree or at most a full degree. And, we, and that is speculation. So I, I think they did the right thing here. I don't think, by the way, they did the right thing on the um, Remain in Mexico policy, though. And that one I'm very angry about. Um, the conservatives did not 
outvote uh, all of them with the major- conservative majority, and they remained the minority on that one. Yeah, well, I, I think that's one of those areas, and I haven't read the uh, opinion, and I don't pretend to have your legal expertise, but I think that might be one of those areas where being a conservative legally may not re- lead to the same result as being a conservative politically, because if you're if you're a conservative legally and you recognize the judicial restraint and that elected officials should be making policy. Maybe you recognize that is uh, something that the, that the president and those agencies should be doing. But uh, I hear, look, I'm not pleased with it either. The policy implications, even if the legal reasoning is sound. Debbie, I want to talk movies with you because it's going to be raining a good portion of the day tomorrow. And a lot of folks may be looking for something good to see. Uh, First, I'm sure by now you have seen the new Top Gun movie. What was your take on that? You know, I don't share the take of most people on this. I did not care for it. I thought it was basically rehashed the exact same story as the original. Um, I think the original, by the way, while I liked it as a kid, if you rewatch it now, it's it's kind of overrated. They refused in the original to name who the enemy was that we were fighting with these, uh, you know, fighter pilots. And then they refuse to name it now. In this movie, there is this whitewashed enemy that has nuclear weapons hidden, like, underneath the ground between mountains that we're supposed to destroy, which is clearly in real life Iran. And they would not say who the country is in the movie. And they did this specifically because they did not want to offend any country. And they also changed things in the movie so that they would not offend China which was a big financier of mm. this movie. So I was not such a big fan of it. It was okay. It was not a great movie. Did you see it in theaters, or did you see it on a screen, like a, a I, TV screen or something? I saw it in the theater. I mean, one other thing, Tom Cruise is going to be 60 years old, I think, on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Um how many 60-year-old fighter pilots are there in uh, <laughs> our military? They're just aren't. It's just baloney. That's true. I can't argue with that. But were you impressed, at least? One of the things that I heard is that this is a film that's really meant to be seen in theaters because of the, the grandeur of the airplanes and the fight sequences and the jets. Did you find that? Were you impressed with that, the production value? Oh, definitely. Listen, this movie, they spent a lot of money on this movie. And definitely, I I was impressed with that. And definitely, that is something you want to see on the big screen. And there, there are a few movies that I saw recently that I think, the good ones anyway, you would want to see it on the big screen. It's better to go to the theater for a lot of things. All right. Now, uh, the other film that everybody's talking about, a lot of people maybe venturing back uh, to the theaters for the first time. A lot of people still a little gun-shy over COVID or whatever else, but uh, now that a lot of theaters, at least in our area, are relaxing vaccine restrictions, a lot of people might be going back to theaters for the first time. Uh, A film that's gotten a lot of buzz is this Baz Luhrmann film, Elvis. Uh, Before we get your take on the film, are you an Elvis fan, Debbie? I am an Elvis fan. I always have been. And by the way, so you were mentioning that I'm Jewish, and we know that there's a large Jewish population where your show airs in New York City, and I know in the beyond where everybody can hear you. Um, and Elvis, as you may or may not know, he um, was Jewish all the way through to his great-great-great-great-grandmother 
um, and he identified as such quietly. Um, and when his mother died, he had a gravestone for her that had a cross in one corner and a Jewish star in the other corner. And finally, uh, a year or two ago, Graceland started embracing this, and they put the gravestone back out. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. That's great. I knew the Jewish history. I didn't know uh, that what Graceland was doing there. All right, so how is the film? So I do not care for this movie. I was really underwhelmed. First of all, it's way too long. Secondly, it's very cartoonish. Third, they tried to wokeify the Elvis story. Um, and beyond that, it really should be called the Colonel Tom Parker story with Elvis um, sort of as a sideshow. And Colonel Tom Parker is played by Tom Hanks with very obvious cartoonish um, uh, prosthetics on his face and his neck. And it's just, it's not serious to me. Um, and it's, it, it go, it's very jer- herky-jerky, goes backward and forward, and they constantly, constantly remind you of their point that Elvis stole his act and his songs from uh, black Americans. And this is something I've heard since I was a kid. Um, and they show this woman named um, Big Mama, who in uh, real life sang... Uh, I think she's saying Jailhouse Rock. I, I know she's saying um, uh, That's All Right, Mama. And um, she sang some other songs that he sang. Well, you know what? Um, she did not write those songs. And some of the other songs that he sang that other blacks wrote, they, or was saying they did not write those songs. And you know what? Whitney Houston did not write I Will Always Love You. Can I say that she's culturally appropriated from a white singer? Right, from Dolly, Dolly Parton, Parton, right? Yeah. You know, and I could give a lot of examples where black singers covered songs first written or first sung by white people. I don't think it means they stole anything. They just did something on their, with their own style. Mm-hmm. So I just didn't care for that. I also thought the guy who played Elvis, just doesn't look like Elvis. He looks more like, at least in the second half of the movie, if Ray Liotta or Wayne Newton got plastic surgery to look like Elvis. <laughs> oh, boy. All right. Okay. Well, so that's, uh, that's maybe a, a skip this weekend. All right. By the way, my favorite Elvis movie I recommend to watch online is Elvis and Nixon. That is a great movie. Oh, I like that one a lot, too. Um, that's the one with Kevin Spacey as Nixon, yes. right? That's a great right. film. And there's another similar film that depicts the same events, which uh, is not as good, but that is a good one. I like that one a lot, too. Hey, um, there's a horror movie out, or at least a thriller, The Black Phone. What's this about? I loved this movie. This is actually the better movie of those two that came out last week. Um, And this is a movie that takes place in 1978. It's got a great 70s soundtrack, the 70s clothes, everything. Um, Ethan Hawke plays this guy who is super creepy, who is kidnapping young boys in the area where it takes place. And this one boy gets kidnapped, and he has to try and figure out how to save his life and get away. And his sister is kind of uh, psychic, and she's trying to find him. And it's just a great story. It's very well written from beginning to end. I wasn't bored for a second. Um, Just very tightly written. The one thing I didn't like is the guy that plays the father in the movie, 
he looks like Charles Manson, <laughs> and um, I don't know if that's on purpose or whatever, because she's never thought to be the kidnapper or anything like that. Um, and I looked him up, and in real life, he has played Charles Manson. So uh, that was the only distraction, but it's a great movie. Ethan Hawke's very good. The kids in this movie are spectacular. I recommend it. All right. Uh, Black Phone getting uh, two uh, Debbie Schlussel thumbs up. Hey, uh, what about this film, Brian and Charles? Uh, What is that about? It's a a comedy. A lot of people are in the mood to laugh, seeing the seriousness of what's happening in the world. Is it funny? Very funny. I very much enjoyed this movie. You would never know that this is such a great movie just by looking at it. It takes place in Wales in, in Great Britain, but it's such a delight. This is why people go to the movies for light escapist stuff like this. It's about a guy who invents all kinds of things out of garbage and they're these useless inventions. But one day he invents this robot and he turns it on and it comes to life and the robot calls itself Charles Petrescu and it's just a really cute movie about how the robot uh, gives this guy the strength to fight back against bullies to find love and it's just such a funny, awesome. cute movie. Great. So, all right. So, we got a good review for Brian and Charles. We got a good review, if you like horror, for The Black Phone, and uh, a mediocre review for Elvis and Top Gun. Right. All right. Hey, uh, Debbie, by the way, you know, um, somebody brought up earlier the, uh, the idea of. Um, your old compatriot Howard Stern possibly running for president. If he runs, are you optimistic about getting a cabinet appointment? <laughs> I'm not optimistic that he's going to get uh, as many votes as the Green Party would have gotten. Yeah, I'm not um, so sure he's running, but uh, who yeah, knows? Yeah, I don't think so either. Listen, Howard will do or say anything for publicity. Um, I, you know what? When Howard Stern first ran for something wasn't he running like for mayor of new governor york at of one new york point? yeah governor. governor of new york he was a guy that was an individualist he was a libertarian he believed that he shouldn't be the only one to be able to, to have a concealed uh permit which uh, to carry a gun which thank god the supreme court struck down the process in new york state um he was a guy that cared about the little guy and now he has become everything that he used to make fun of. He's become Don Imus, essentially. Um, he used to mock celebrities. Now he sucks up to them to hang out with them. Um, he used to mock people with these fake liberal causes. Now he has a million of those. And he's just become everything he was against. And not for the better, for the worse. Debbie, so I'm really I, disappointed. All right, we're going to end it there. Um, we'll put you on the in the undecided column for the Stern <laughs> presidential candidacy. Let's talk again soon. Have a happy Independence Day. Thank you. Happy Independence Day. All right. 15 seconds of fame, 800-848-9222. Say whatever you like for 15 seconds. 1-800-848-9222. Straight ahead. WABC.
is indeed the other side of midnight. Uh, thank you, Andy B. I hope everybody has a great uh, Independence Day weekend. I'll be back here on Monday. So uh, while you're preparing for your barbecue or to go to your parades or to wave the flag, keep us on the radio. Coming up in just a couple of minutes, you'll get to hear the WABC early morning news with uh, Frank Diaz. So that'll be interesting. And then uh, you will get to hear the Bernie and Sid show from 6 to 10. That should certainly be an interesting show. But first, it is time for... The Other Side of Midnight. This is 15 Seconds of Fame. Jimmy in Brooklyn. Good morning, Frankie. I just wanted to uh, wish uh, a fellow native Brooklynite, uh, Mr. Lou Ferrigno, uh, a very happy and healthy birthday today. All right. Janine in Westchester. Good morning, Frank. Listen, refineries are being shut down all over America. The strategic oil reserves are being used up. What happens are we not importing oil anymore from Russia? What happens to all the fossil fuels? I love electricity. Where are we going to get electricity? Mike in New Jersey. Good morning, Frank. Frank, the reason that gas prices are high at the pump, Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. I meant Russia, Russia, Russia. And finally, Jose in the Bronx. Twisted Justice at CNN.com. Twisted Justice at CNN.com. Twisted Justice at CNN. All right. Uh, WABC Morning News with Frank Diaz is next. I'll be back Monday morning at 1 a.m. Frank Morano, good day.